live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com, join the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You can also check out the T Public store. Always a good time to go swing over and go get some ODPH swag. We don't like bragging, but you know, the people are not wrong, and we thank everybody for spending the money and supporting the brand that way. Speaking of supporting, you can join us on Patreon. One tier, $2, and a lot of content on the way. A new review is coming for the month of November, plus... Parlay Club coasters are getting mailed out with some other swag as well. So if you want in on that deal, it's right there at your fingertips, on your phones, on your computers, wherever you can click on, boom, there it is. Parlay Points blog section is always going on too. The Classifieds, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcasts, Organizational Links Born Black Lives Matter, Voter Registration, The Directory, which Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 126,000. Sounds about right to me. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. Let us kick off the entertainment edition of the show talking about the king of the box office. DC Studios came back in a big way. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's a little rebranding of the name. Perfect timing because right now there is no bigger moment going on in the entertainment industry than at the movies with Black Adam. Mm-hmm. So Dwayne The Rock Johnson's uh, project that he's been attached to for 15 years now, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Wow. He His name was first attached to that film uh, from a article from Slash from Peter Cetera. Uh, and I apologize if I uh, messed up the last name there. But he was, I believe, the first person to like really like say that you know The Rock is attached. Because originally it was Shazam. Shazam! And then, and then it became Black Adam. You know, but 15 years ago was the first article that mentioned, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> and you can even dig up the article and, and see a 15-year younger and very much smaller, muscularly rock photo attached with it, which is hilarious to see. Mm-hmm. You know, but 15 years ago was when The Rock was first attached to this project. And it's been, you know, 15 years of, I don't know, necessarily want to say development hell, but just, you know, 15 years of work getting it from passion project to it's actually on the big screen. It's a weird journey because if anybody's not familiar with the character of Black Adam, he is the arch nemesis of Shazam and has been since the 1940s pretty much. Pretty much. So it's weird to see that they made the transition from villain to anti-hero with him, but he's a very complex character when you narrow it down throughout the years in the comics. And if you read DC right now, he's got a very big profile, obviously with the movie out. Makes perfect sense. But if you look through the entire lineage of his time in the comics, complex, to say the least. Mm -hmm. 
So to see The Rock has been attached to this, and he has stayed with this project through and through, no matter what. Yeah, say reading from the uh, film's Wikipedia page, which I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Like, the whole development portion of this Wikipedia page is like a short story. Uh, But the first little bit says, quote, New Line Cinema began the development of a Shazam feature film in the early 2000s based on the DC Comics character Captain Marvel. The title came from the wizard Shazam, who gives the hero his powers, with DC unable to use the title Captain Marvel due to legal issues. Peter Seagal signed on to direct the film in April 2006, and Dwayne Johnson was approached about portraying Captain Marvel later that year. By November 2007, Johnson was also interested in the film's antagonist, Black Adam, and had received positive responses from fans about him possibly playing that character. Uh, and it just goes on and on. So yeah, he's been he's been attached to this thing for a while. And if you want to l- read a little bit more into the development of this whole thing, go to the Black Adam Wikipedia page. Yeah, no, it's it's fully detailed. I mean, there's just so much going on with this, and especially to see The Rock, who's risen to be Hollywood's number one action star. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say overall star, but he's up there for in terms of action star. Yeah, no, he is. No, he's number one in action. There's no question yeah. of that. Yeah, to see him still with this and taking a very prominent position as being the franchise face of DC Studios. Mm-hmm. This is a big deal to see how this movie was going to be because obviously, if you talk to any DC Comics fan, <laughs> when you mention movies and DC, it's a very, very touchy subject to say the least. Obviously, you feel a certain way about the Snyderverse. You feel a certain way about other movies. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I think now that you're seeing a lot of things getting cleaned up yeah. at DC, in my opinion, seeing this movie succeed as it did at the box office is a big win. Absolutely. And that's something everybody should be talking about. Because, Pat, how much money did it make? So for the weekend, it was the number one grossing film uh, of the weekend, and I'm reading these numbers from BoxOfficeMojo.com. Uh, it was first with $67,4323, uh, beating out uh, Ticket to Paradise, which had $16.5 million. Smile was number three with $8.4 million. Halloween ends with an 80% drop from the week prior, uh, made just over $8 million. Rightfully so, in my opinion. Uh, and then topping out the top five was Lyle Lyle Crocodile with uh, $4.2 million. And then for the film uh, total overall, including the international numbers, currently as we record, the film is sitting at $71.5 million uh, domestically. Internationally, it is $75.9 million for a worldwide total of $147.4 million. Big win. Absolutely. Big win. Anybody trying to say otherwise, don't even pay attention because this is what Warner Brothers needed. This is what DC needed. This is what The Rock needed, too. Because being the face of the franchise, mm-hmm. you need to deliver. I'm, I'm sorry, Hollywood is very fickle like that. Oh, it is, and especially when you have films that are in development for as long as that one was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's either they're they're great or they're crap. There's there's no in between. No, I'll be honest. The first time I saw the trailer, I thought I was watching Injustice Three. Kind of dead serious. And you can go back through this podcast, so Wizard Podcast, anywhere I was on talking about this, I have made that reference, and I stay true to it. However. Going to the theaters, the mind was changed. Yes. So if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. Make sure to drop a follow and a five-star review. We always appreciate that. We like to give a spoiler-free statement about what we're talking about. So we are going to give you fair warning. We give our statement, and then we give a countdown. After that countdown, we go into full spoiler breakdown. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, you don't want it ruined for you, this is the time to duck out of the episode. We put where we start doing this in the liner notes so you, you have no reason to be spoiled by anything we say. We give you so much fair warning, it is ridiculous. 
but that's because we care. So that said, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement about Black Adam. I, I went into this movie with kind of like neutral expectations. You know, I wasn't expecting this to be the greatest movie of all time, but I wasn't expecting it to be the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, I wasn't quite sure what to expect, you know, just because it's a DC film. And like we said, DC films, the last couple of years have been hit or miss, mm-hmm. you know, that's and, honest. And and when it comes to Dwayne Johnson, he's good, you know, but this is a whole new ball game. You mm-hmm. know, this isn't Fast and the Furious. This isn't some like action movie where, you know, he's doing ridiculous feats of strength and saving people from a crumbling, you know, a high rise in the middle of an earthquake. You know, th- this is a whole new ball game and this is an established ball game that's been going on now for, you know, 20, 30 years or longer if you want to argue it. You know, so is this a foray that, like, obviously, yes, he's a success. He's the most successful star in Hollywood right now. You know, is this something he can grasp onto and and really do well with? Or is just, you know, or is this just too big a pond for even him to swim into? Mm -hmm. And I went in and was pleasantly surprised within the first, I'd say, half hour of the movie. You know, I, I was very happy with the movie. It was a lot of fun. The action sequences were awesome. You know, and I loved everything about it, and I'm excited to see where they go forward with not only, you know, these movies, but this character. I am right there with you. I thought this movie was great for being entertaining. I think when I first heard about this movie, I was very worried. Mm -hmm. For the simple fact of when Hollywood decides to go into a comic franchise... And you hear them go for the villains first. Right. Certain villains will translate into their own solo movies. At the time, Black Adam was not that household name. No. This was a very risky chance. But the thing about Black Adam is he really kind of came into more of a connecting role with comic fans. Sure. When they did the 52 series. Oh, yeah. So and that's something in DC Comics like... When they did the, the one of their many resets, yeah, it's one of the resets series they did. He was featured in that, and he was great in that role. So I think that kind of connected him more to the comics audience. But to see how The Rock was going to do it, because Shazam is such a unique character in his own right. Mm-hmm. Black Adam is the complete opposite. You've seen them fight for they're the original fight forever. Let's be honest about this. To see how this was all going to play out was going to be interesting, and to see how they were going to try making Black Adam cool to a pop culture audience. Mm -hmm. It's always a gamble because he's not a joker. Right. He's not a venom. Right. He's more or less an unknown commodity. It's not a household name that like, even I didn't know who he was up until, you know, this movie started getting ready to come out just because my primary experience with DC stuff, as I've said before, is the animated stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, he was obviously never featured in Batman, the animated series or any of the subsequent sequel series was never featured in Superman, the animated series and Shazam show and Shazam showed up in Justice League Unlimited, didn't show up in the original Justice League. But I don't remember Black Adam showing up in either of the Justice League shows, you know, so and I kind of fell off after that. I know he's appeared in some of the movies, but never anything prominent that I can think of, Mm -hmm. you know, so. You know, even from a casual standpoint of like just folks like myself who grew up on the cartoons, this isn't a Superman or a Batman or a Wonder Woman or Captain America, Thor, Spider-Man, hell, even Punisher, Spawn that like it's a household. Even if you don't know the name for some of those characters, 
you know the logo, you know the look of the costume, like you go, oh yeah, that guy, like I don't know much about him, but I at least recognize it. Black Adam, not so much. No, but he definitely won people over with the performance, that being The Rock. He didn't come out and just do the usual Rock things. Right. That's something that was very key for this, because if you're really going to try connecting Black Adam's character to an audience, you can't be The Rock. Yeah. You need to actually give that character its own identity. I thought he did a solid job of it. Oh, he did. And I thought the action was on point. That was phenomenal work of the cinematography. I really loved a lot of that. Yeah. There's very few things I didn't like with it, but... For being a character that I've known through the comics, and I can get very critical about, I thought they nailed it. I really thought they nailed it. Yeah. And I'm very excited to see where they're going in the future. So I think if you haven't seen this, go give it a chance. Don't pay attention to any of the early press that came out. Yeah, the early press missed the mark hard. Very hard. Holy shit. Yeah, so one thing that we'll always stress on this show, and I know a lot of our fellow content creating friends echo our statement, Go see it for yourself. Yeah. If you're really excited about being a fan, be a fan. And don't let somebody's reviews come out early that really scare you off. You need to go make your own judgment calls for that. Well, yeah, I mean, because there was one particular site that gave it. I won't even give you the grade they gave it just to not give it away. But there's a prominent site on the Internet that gave it a middle-of-the-road grade. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of how they scale things, they put it right in the middle. And I was like, "Eh, okay, you know, that'll be interesting to see, you know. If that ends up holding up and I couldn't help but think as I was driving home like that thought occurred to me about what this site gave it and I couldn't help but think did they see the same movie or was their version incomplete like I just couldn't understand you know how the press missed it so much. I think it just goes back to the stigma that DC films has had. Yeah. That and, could I, be. and I think that for some people listen the fandom of the Snyderverse rubs people the wrong way. Hi, me. Yeah, much like how AEW fans will kind of bother some of the other wrestling fans, just of just how intense and sometimes toxic people get about it. Passion is good, but a little too much is not good. Exactly. But I think if you go to this film, I think you're going to be entertained with a lot. There's so much wind to discuss with it that for being the franchise player of the DC universe now, Black Adam has a bright future, and I'm mm-hmm. very, very excited to see where they're going with this. That being said, it's spoiler time. So in three, two, one, Pad, talk to me. This film was fucking amazing. You know, just from you know introducing it and kind of setting everything up. Because like I said, I didn't know a whole hell of a lot, you know, about this character going into it, even his origin story. And I like how they didn't dwell too much time on it. You know, they kind of set it up and then they kind of like did little Easter eggs. I don't even want to say Easter eggs, but little grains of like information and knowledge as, as you went through the film, when it was pertinent to the story overall, you know, they didn't spend the first half hour, 45 minutes of the movie simply on his origin, which was nice. Mm -hmm. You know, they gave enough, they gave you the cliff notes version and here we go. You know, the action was awesome. The story, listen, the story isn't going to win. I told this to a buddy, you know, he's like, oh, is the story going to win any awards? I'm like, no, the story's not going to win any awards. It's a comic book movie, but but it's the action's on point, you know, and, and I agree with that, with, with what I said. You know, this the story was what it needed to be for an, an origin story movie, and, and the action sequence was on point. I think this movie definitely established that DC could take some of their lesser-known properties and run with it if you have somebody very passionate behind it. And they gave it a decent script. And that is one thing that you have to say with this. Is this going to win any Academy Awards? Probably not. No. But you know what? I was entertained. I thought they nailed the character, which can be complex. Because let's face it, he is a villain. I'm sorry. This anti-hero stuff, 
I understand what they're trying to do, but at the end of the day, he's a villain. And you understand that he's conflicted. That's what makes the best villains. Mm-hmm. When you take a look at Magneto, yeah, that's the easiest comparison I can make because, yeah, he does terrible things, but the cause he does it makes sense. Yeah. So you can kind of understand it. It's always tricky when it's stuff like that. Not everything needs to be a psycho joker. No. For what they did here, I thought they nailed it with the performance. They actually made me believe that I could go see a JSA movie and be happy. Yeah. Well, let me say two out of four made me happy. We'll get into that when it's early, start breaking it down. But they showed me that, okay, if this is going to be the future of DC, okay, I'm, I'm back in. Not that it was fully out before, but I think that you had so much with the Snyderverse. Mm-hmm. And what, whatever side of the fence you lie on, like either you love it or you hate it. It's, there's no way in the middle. It is what it is. It was what it was. If this is going to be a metamorphosis for it, sure, let it go. Because I think they kind of borrowed a little bit from it, mm-hmm. and they made it their own vision. And that's one thing I like about it, and that's one thing I can think you can take away. Because when they get into this movie, they don't waste a lot of time about explaining the backstory. We go right to Kondok, which is Black Adam's home country. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's under a dictatorship. Yep. There's a tyrant that is running everything. Mm-hmm. And he's now on search for you know this certain kind of material. It's like a natural resource that only grows in that part of the world. Yeah. So he is now hellbent in high water about finding this. Mm-hmm. Because it kind of ties into the crown of Sabak. Yep. Which he's looking for. So when you're dealing with all of this buildup, you're seeing about how... Black Adam is rebelling. Mm -hmm. And you think at first when you're watching that the young boy who is rebelling is Black Adam. And I like how they kind of did a little bait and switch about that. Oh, I did too. Because I thought I was like, okay, we're going to go really young rock here. But no, because he's somebody that's been, you know, enslaved Mm -hmm. and he's fighting back against the people because they're asking him to look for the various uh, metals that's going. I know it's not Nith Metal. It'll come to me in a sec. But it's. Unobtainium. What's that? Unobtainium. Yeah, it's probably unobtainium. But. It's one situation that, as you're seeing with it, you're seeing him fight back. He gets captured because he becomes almost a symbol of hope for the people. And he's throwing up the weird sign, too, that yeah. I know they, they use. And, I, like, honestly, I wasn't mad about it because it was just something, like, they needed a rallying point for yeah. him. Yeah. But then, as you see, he gets captured. And right before he gets killed, he gets disappeared. Yep. Out of nowhere. Yep. And, Pad, where does he go? Uh, he goes to, like, this other mythical dimension. I don't remember if it's got a name or not, but it's with uh, the Council of Wizards is there, uh, and he is granted the powers of Shazam. Yes. So now he's granted the powers of Shazam, and then you kind of see a little fast forward where we see Dwayne the Rock Johnson come back. Mm-hmm. And now he is Black Adam, and he's facing the king that has the powers of the crown. And there's, like, an explosion going on. Yeah. Because Black Adam has came in, he's now powerful enough to free his people. Yep. And they go into it, and we don't see the fight. No. We just see the castle explode. And so it cuts away to, like, you know, a little ways away from the castle, and it just goes kabloom. Yeah. Which I like how they did it, because we don't know exactly what happened. They're leaving details out. They're leaving details out, but for the right reasons. Need to know basis. Yeah, so they're being very smart about this. Then we jump to present time. Mm Mm-hmm. And Kondok... Is still <laughs> under control. Still up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Yeah. But we do know that Intergang is now running things. Mm, that sounds familiar. 
And why is that, Pat? Well, I know they they mentioned it at the season finale of uh, Superman and Lois last, or so yeah, Superman yeah. and Lois last season. Yeah, no, Intergang is a weird mix of people from Apocalypse, people from Earth, running things as a crime organization. So to see that they have taken over conduct, that was kind of an interesting dive for me. But I'm okay with it. I was not sitting there upset about it. So as we see that they're running through there and somebody is getting basically smuggled out of conduct mm-hmm. because she knows something. Yep. And that's Adriana Tomas, played by Sarah Shahi. So she is now getting smuggled out because she has something which they're looking for. Well, so we don't quite know what's going on. It's just, you know, things kind of start. It's the, There's the kid skateboarding through the town. Clearly, there's a very heavy military occupation going on because there's checkpoints everywhere. People are, you know, there's lines everywhere to get through these checkpoints. You gotta have your paperwork all in order to get there, you know. And this van-looking thing pulls up to the checkpoint, and it's like they're used to it. They're like, oh, "This sucks. We gotta deal with it, though." And the kid causes havoc, you know. Like, "Oh, hey, why why aren't you letting me through? You see me every day. Listen, I know I see you every day, but rules are rules, you know. We you still gotta show me your papers." He sneaks through, causes a distraction, which allows. Uh, the van truck thing to go through without really getting looked at too closely, even though a little scanning identification device does pick her up. There, mm-hmm. there was a, cl- but the guy didn't know the guy running the checkpoint didn't notice it. Yeah. So they get through and come to find out the little boy who was causing havoc knows the people in the van and he was a distraction the whole time. Yeah. So it's kind of a very interesting play that she's going on. But she winds up getting freed up, mm-hmm. and she does sneak away. She does have a, coll- a couple colleagues with her, Yep. and they are now going pretty much to the tomb of where she thinks the crown of Sabak is. And I'll say this. there was It was the woman, her brother, and then another guy. Samir and Ishmael? Uh, yeah, uh, I think Ishmael was the other guy. Samir, Samir I think, was the brother. Mm. Um, Ish- uh, Ishmael? From the moment that motherfucker said something on screen, I did not trust him any further than I could throw him. That guy just had a smarmy, I'm a prick feel to him from the start. Yeah, Marwin Kanzari played him great on this. But yeah, he definitely tipped off like he, something was up with there, him. There was like from the moment he started talking and asking questions, it's like, all right, for being chummy chummy and like you're all in this together, you are asking a few too many odd questions. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a very interesting play how they wind up doing this. But you do see that they wind up sneaking away. They go to the tomb, and she does get traced down by inner gang there. So they are following her because she's leaving a little trail behind because she is wearing a pendant. Yep. And on this pendant is the metal that I couldn't remember before because I want to say Nith metal, but I know it's not that because that's going to be tied into something later. It's Ethereum, and that is a derivative from the Rock of Eternity, which is Shazam's power source, mm-hmm. you know, that whole neck of the woods. So it is kind of a little crazy with how they kind of tie that in. But since she has it, it's a weird thing that she can activate. Well, and there's clearly a lot of it. And this is kind of, it it felt to me like a shitty opposite version of Wakanda, Mm -hmm. where like Wakanda, Wakanda's got um, vibranium, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's their whole thing. And like, they're a prosperous, futuristic, you know, society. Whereas this, it's got, you know the ethereum and it's like they have flying vehicles and they have these high powered weapons and they have all this stuff but like it's still a third world country yeah it's it's a it's a little kind of crazy with how they do things but you know what it, it kind of runs with they're really trying to establish in conduct is is his own unique vibe mm-hmm. so you know i was completely fine with it but as she's in the tomb she does get set up ishmael 
is turning on everybody mm-hmm. and basically sets her up, uh, which we don't see the reveal just there. Yeah. Because we do see that Samir gets killed, I believe. Yeah. And during this, she's underground. She winds up reading a scripture that's on the wall. Yeah. And winds up awakening Black Adam. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Well, she's like begging for her life because like she's got the gun. She they got the gun to her head, and it's like, hey, listen, tell us what we want, or get us what we want, or we're gonna kill you. And she looks down, and ha- she looks and happens to recognize some of the script she's looking at, and realizes what it is, or has an idea, and she starts reading it off, and that's when he appears. Yeah. So all of a sudden, we see the dramatic entrance of Dwayne Johnson. Mm-hmm. And Pat, how would you describe this whole scene? Uh, everything I would have expected it to be, which is fucking awesome. Yeah, he just makes the appearance. Inner gang winds up trying to shoot him. And the one thing I loved about this, they did not pull any punches. No, they didn't at all. Well, they, well, they did because they're initially the cut of the film was an R-rated cut, and they had to dial it back to PG thirteen. So they pulled a few punches, but not many. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I want to see the R cut. To so be honest do, with you, so do I. I was not a whole Snyder cut or air cut fan. I am a. I want to see the R-rated cut of this movie. Yes. So when we can see that, I'm completely down for that. But we do see that he is running through inner gang. Yeah, like completely destroying them. After, Left and right. Because there's like, what, like a dozen guys, you mm. would say, all with, with automatic rifles pointed at him. And they are just unloading magazine after magazine after magazine into this guy, mm. uh, into into the rock. And he's just like, you know, feeling with Jay-Z, you know, just brushing it off his shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. Just tearing through him left and right. Very cool action sequences. Can't stress that enough. And you do see the Adriana does get away. Mm-hmm. And Black Adam does go follow them and kind of is trying to lay under the radar, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But he does register on somebody's radar. Yeah. Pad, we saw a very familiar face organizing a team behind this. Mm-hmm. Who is that person? The one, the only, Viola Davis, a.k.a. Amanda Waller, the head of Argus. Yes. So she is now assembling a team to go after him. Mm-hmm. And this is not any team. This is the Justice Society of America Mm -hmm. or the JSA. And what I thought was interesting about this is you have a superpowered being on epic levels. Mm -hmm. And Amanda Waller knows everything. Mm -hmm. The team that she picked to go after him Mm -hmm. I thought was unique. A little bit. I thought... Certain members made sense. Two did not really so much. Yeah. Obviously, we saw the introduction of Hawkman, played by Aldous Hodge, who, phenomenal job. Crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. You then you then saw the legacy of Adam Smasher get passed down because mm-hmm. we saw Noah Centio mm-hmm. take up that role. And his, I got to admit, it's nothing against him, but I thought his entire time in the movie, he was supposed to be the comic relief, like yeah, the Peter Parker. Yeah. And I thought it just hammed up too much. It, yeah. It will, like, I, like I see, like you said, he was the comedic role. He was, you know, the Peter Parker. You know, I'll even say the, the Ron Weasley from Harry Potter, you know, because Ron in the books is not as nearly as comedic as they make him in the movies, you know. But yeah, they, they, it was, I did not like the way he was written. The character was cool. You know, the whole, oh, he's just got the powers. He just like, he must've just had him passed down to him like a week ago or a day ago. So it was like, he's still learning. He's not quite sure, you know, but the, the comedy was just a little, from him was just a little too much. Yeah. It was just, it, it made sense in certain points and I was okay with it in certain points, but there are just some points where I'm just like, ah, do we really need that right now? Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. Like I just sat there. I was like, 
I just groaned a lot when I saw him just because I was like, oh, man. Like, yeah. Because some of the line delivery and some of the moments that they made him in, just he's one of the most powerful beings they have. Uh-huh. And he just came off corny. Well, it, like that whole, like when we'll get to it, like that whole first battle. Yeah. Where like everyone is there, everyone is fighting, and he jumps off the plane and he lands on his face, and then he's running in other directions. He's so green and wet behind the ears, it's not even funny. Oh, it's ridiculous. So like I I'm didn't. On my, I'm on my way. I'm on my way, and he's gone the complete wrong direction. Yeah, because obviously the advice he got from his uncle uh, Henry Winkler <laughs> of all people. <laughs> that was wild. That was wild. But it was a fun scene, like uh, to do the comic relief. But you could definitely tell he's inexperienced. So I'm kind of going like with Amanda Waller, like why are you selecting him? Mm-hmm. Because this doesn't make any sense. And then to round out the team, though, they did have Cyclone, who played by Quintessa Swindell. Mm-hmm. Thought she was great. She was good. She was great because uh, she filled in the Red Tornado role. Yeah. Because I don't remember Cyclone being a member of the JSA. Obviously, if I'm wrong, hit me up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. But I thought she was great for the role that she was in. Yeah. So I had no real issue there, but I was kind of going like, through the JSA members, and we were talking the original superhero team of the DC Universe, you had... Wildcat, you've had Alan Grant, Green Lantern, Jay Garrick, Flash. Right. Like, you could have gone with some bigger names for this. So the lineup that got picked, I was kind of like, hmm, I don't don't really know what I think about this. However, though, the fourth member of this team definitely made the presence felt, and that was Pierce Brosnan stepping into the role of Dr. Fate. God damn, he was amazing. And I'm not just saying that because he's a former Bond actor. No, he was great. Holy shit. He was great because Dr. Fate is such a tricky character. Because obviously you compare him to Dr. Strange of the Marvel Universe. You can for the powers and the magic, so to speak. But Dr. Strange is on a whole other level of, like, Moon Knight crazy, in my opinion. Uh, I pulled up the Justice Society of America members. Uh, and just from the Golden Age themselves, you had the Adam and Al Pratt, uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman. Uh, Kent Nelson, Dr. Fate, Jay Garrick, uh, The Flash, mm-hmm. Alan Scott, The Green Lantern. Alan Scott, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Carter Hall, uh, Hawkman, uh, Rex Tyler in Our Man, uh, Wesley Dodds in The Sandman, Jim Corgan in The Spectre, uh, Clark Kent, Kyle Al, Superman. Uh, then you had John L. Thunder in YZ as Johnny Thunder and Thunderbolt. Dr. Midnight, uh, Charles McMiller, Starman, Wonder Woman, Mr. Terrific, Wildcat, and the Black Canary from the Golden Age. Yeah, like, they had a, a deeper bench to go through if they wanted to. And if you've never read the JSA comics, they're good. They're very good. Old school as they can be, but you know what? They still fit, and they can still be res- you know resonate through the timelines right mm-hmm. now. So, like I say, if you haven't read them, I highly recommend reading them on DC Infinite or wherever you need to go for that. So, you know, make a point to do that, and it definitely works. Yeah. But that said, you send them to Kondok. Mm-hmm. They come in looking. And they're basically trying to talk Black Adam down because he's waking up in the apartment of Adriana. Right. Well, and the thing with the JSA, too, that I, at least I got the vibe off of, and, and you can correct me if you felt differently, was Hawkman and Dr. Fate knew each other. And they had had a history together. They'd gone on missions together. They'd worked together. Mm-hmm. But it felt like Adam Smasher and Cyclone were kind of the new new They're hires. rookies. They're the new hires. They're the new kids on the block. Mm-hmm. You know, because that was the one thing throughout the movie with uh, Adam Smasher constantly screwing up. Hawkman just kept looking at him and going, we're going to have a talk later. We're going to have a talk later. You, me, talk later. Yeah. You know, so if it, it was it was just weird. Like Amanda Waller's like, I'm going to call together this crack tack crack group of individuals to handle this otherworldly being who's super powerful and can fly around and destroy anything. And half the crew is going to be new. 
Yeah, that was like the only thing I thought was really puzzling about that. But it was what it was, so I can't really be too mad about that. Except just when it came into the fight scenes, as we see, it really felt awkward. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the one thing about it is mm-hmm. you're, you're sitting there trying to go like, okay, why are these... They're tripping over each other. Yeah, they absolutely looked very sloppy about, you know, running into each other. And you, when you're seeing them kind of play off how they're supposed to be interacting, like, you can definitely tell they're they're completely underwhelmed. You, you couldn't help but sit there and go, really, Waller? Or overwhelmed, rather, I'm you, sorry. You know, you can't help but wonder, like, with the Waller, like... Really, this is the best you could throw together, and, and given the circumstances, yeah, that was the only issue I really had with this team. Like they just kind of seemed very, very. It's it's like everybody else was busy and nobody else was available. Yeah, so it definitely didn't play into any factors that they had. And when we see the first battle, because like we say, Black Adam wakes up in the house of Adriana and, mm-hmm. and talking with her son too, Amon, who like. Well, because we find out Ethereum can injure Black Adam because yes. he, he gets hit with was it a I think it was a bullet yeah he gets he gets hit with a, bu- a bullet great so like all they must have like loaded a special magazine or something because all the normal bullets were just bouncing off of him but this other bullet like grazes his abs on the one side and like it ah it hurts him and he, and he falls unconscious or whatever you know so we find out that like hey he isn't the all powerful badass we think he is he's got a weakness. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, when they're trying to have their battle, they're tearing up Kondok left and right. Even though you're seeing Amon is now getting hunted down by Inner Gang, so that draws Black Adam out, who is still sitting there trying to assess what's going on. Well, I mean, the man's been asleep for, you know, a couple thousand years. I'd be a little groggy, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because he's kind of going in, like, what's going on, even though I do have to say when he was in the apartment, he was knocking over the posters of all the yeah, DC Yeah, that was funny. That was funny, and it was very specifically, the there, there was a whole bunch of posters on that wall, and I'm sure... Once the movie comes out on on streaming on or, or physical copy, people will be able to b- break down what all the posters were. But the ones that got broken were very specifically: Batman got broken, Superman got broken, The Flash got broken, and I think Wonder Aquaman, Wo- Aquaman, and I think Wonder Woman did too. Yeah, you know, but that was the with the, the, him being acting out of place. I think somebody I forget who it was even said that like, oh, he's being weird, and they're like, well, yeah, he's been asleep for you know a couple thousand years. You'd be out of it too. Yeah, so. It does turn into a wild scene going on. And then during this melee, too, like I say, they're tearing up conduct left and right. Yeah. Am Smasher looked completely out of place. Cyclone looked completely overwhelmed. And you see Dr. Fate and Hawkman are hanging in there. And I will say this for anybody that has an opinion about Hawkman, I thought Aldous Hodge really showed why he's a great hero uh-huh. if you give him good material. Yeah. Like I say, in the comics, it's. Hit or miss, and I do mean that as a as the complete definition. If Hawkman is done good as a side character, I think he's a great character. Uh-huh. When he's a lead, it's shaky. Yeah, it really is. And I and, and like I can go into the whole backstory of that sometime at a later date. But he's just a very messy character in uh-huh. that sense because the different incarnations. You talk about the Hawk World and all that jazz. Like it. Depending on where you want to go with it, it just it's all over the place. No, I mean for the team, like it definitely you could tell Hawkman and Doctor Fate were game ready. They were they were ready for prime time. Mm-hmm. They were ready for the bright lights. Cyclone, you know, borrow NFL turns. Cyclone reminded me of like a rookie in the NFL, yeah, making their first start, and they're like oh, a little ner-. like they've got the skills and they've got the ability there, but it's like they're a little nervous. Adam Smasher just looked like the guy who like yeah, you need some more time on the practice squad. Yeah, no, absolutely. So during this whole point. You see that Amon is kidnapped. Yep. And Ishmael is revealed to be the head person of Inner Gang. And he's also not dead. He's not dead, which we all thought he was. Yep. So you're now seeing 
that the JSA has to come to terms with Black Adam, and there's just the uneasiness going on. Well, it's this guy that, like, we were sent here to stop, incarcerate, and throw away the key, and now all of a sudden we have to work with our enemy. Yeah. Which, it did make for good drama. So, oh, yeah. I, you know, I wasn't mad about that, and especially Dr. Fade is sitting there witnessing all this going on. He's having a weird, like, future... Yeah, uh, he's seeing the future. Yeah, future moment, where he's seeing Hawkman get killed, and he's basically yeah. telling, like, Hawkman, like, there is a way to avoid this, yeah. but... Yeah. Well, the entire time, Black Adam is killing people left, right, and center, and Hawkman is just constantly te- yelling at him, don't do that. Stop doing that. Yeah. But I do love how they were challenged, though, mm-hmm. because Adriana came down when she was like, what right do you have to come in here? We've been oppressed for however long by Intergang, and you guys have done nothing. Well, because they show up, and the crowd's cheering Black Adam because they've been brought up on this mythology for the last, you know, 2000 4000 whatever however many years it is that there was a, that they were oppressed and there was a champion and mm-hmm. he and he freed them from the bonds of repression and here they are in a similar situation and all of a sudden here comes this guy who's appearing in our area for the first time ever that they know of and he looks just like the statue the giant statue that's in town you know and oh it's our savior and and we're here and so he's trying to kill the people that are oppressing this country and, and these people and you've got Hawkman and Dr. Fate and the like coming in and saving those people, oppressing them. And they're getting booed. Mm. And they're like, why are you booing us? You know, we're here to f- save you and, and free you from the oppression. And that's when, you know, she brings up, you know, this whole like, all right, that's great and all. But they've been here for 27 years. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. And I love how they did that because that makes sense. Oh, it, it was practical. It made sense. And I'm like, you know what? She's right. She's absolutely on the money. Inner gang has been running conduct for and, 27 years and nobody's done a damn thing so you know what if they're relying on black adam to be the savior even though he does not want to be no and he keeps playing this off which i will give credit to Dwayne johnson about this he didn't go into full rock mode about this i mean he kind of did the whole like i'm no hero a lot yeah es- especially when Amon was sitting there and especially he's doing the diamond uh hand gesture you yeah know, which, you know he's giving a symbol of hope to conduct's people but Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam was not buying into it. Mm-hmm. And he was definitely just trying to find his way. But reluctantly, he's showing loyalty to Amon. Because when he gets kidnapped, he goes after him. Oh, yeah, he does. In one of the best scenes of the movie, too. Jesus. You see him flying out over the sea, and he tracks down who he thinks uh, Amon, or who took Amon, rather. Yep. And it's in one of these, like, hyper uh, scooters. Yeah, the flying scooters. Yeah, which somehow he's in the back of. He tracks it down. And opens up the back, and sure enough, he's not in there. Amon's in another one. Let's say he grabs hold. He's got hold of two of the henchmen, I guess you could say. Mm. Hauls them into low at the low freaking high atmosphere, low space. Yes. Starts interrogating. He's like, "All right, here's what we're gonna do. I'm looking for information, and I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. You have that. You might have that information. One of you two is gonna tell me the information, and you'll get to live. The other one, I'll drop you. And Hawkman's there, and he's like, "You're not actually gonna drop him, are you?" He's like, no, I might. I might. And, and so finally the one guy's like, I'm not telling you or something. And he drops him. And he goes, oh, and Hawkman just goes, oh, son of a bitch. Yeah. And he goes into a dive after the guy. And so then the other other, other yeah, the other guy, Black Adam's holding, goes, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. He's in such and such place. He goes, great. Thanks for the information. Drops him too. Mm-hmm. So he goes back. To, and so Black Adam goes back to the apartment. Hawkman shows up and goes, dude, what the fuck? I thought we said no killing. He goes, I know. I didn't kill him. You caught him. Yeah. No, well played. Made perfect sense. 
Absolutely loved the dynamic they had going on, too. Oh, that was great. Because especially for anybody that wasn't buying in a Hawkman being able to hold his own, he was. I mean, obviously he had the mace, and obviously with being of Nith yeah. metal, which yep. that is a Hawkman thing, yep. one of the most prized metals in all of the DC universe. To see that kind of get interplayed, especially with this ship, too, that was kind of a cool thing as well. That ship was awesome. Yeah, which, I mean, you don't really see too much of, per se, a lot with Hawkman, but he's he's got some toys. But when you see this is all kind of playing in there as well, it's it's a nice thing to see. But when they go right to the standoff, because, I mean, they go through a lot of back and forth, and you do yeah. get a lot of history kind of caught up to with Black Adam, mm-hmm. especially when they arrive at the end battle, so to speak, with Ishmael, mm-hmm. who reveals that he is the remaining descendant of the original king that Black Adam fought years ago. Mm-hmm. And he kind of explains, yeah, this has been my birthright. This has been what I've been waiting for. You stole it. And they go into the whole story about how Black Adam really didn't save Kondok. He tried conquering it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a nice, interesting reveal. That was a nice little plot twist. Yeah, because Black Adam doesn't deny this, but he's not exactly revealing all his cards. Right, well, and, it, and it's a further explanation of the scene we saw at the beginning of the movie where it's, you know, he shows up with the powers, he goes out to take the king, he goes to take out the king, and then it just cuts hard mm-hmm. to the outside, and we see the explosion. We never see, like we said, we never saw what happened. We don't know the finer details. Now we know the finer details. Yes, because once he goes mad with the powers, so to speak, he's imprisoned by the gods. Well, the, the Council of Wizards. Yeah, the, is, the, the Wizards ca- means The Council of Wizards is like, uh, dude, what the hell? Like, this isn't what we meant for you to use the powers for. Yeah, and he's basically trying to fight him and saying, like, he's fueled by vengeance. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what his driving power is. Yep. But they don't want to hear it, so that's why he was in prison. So when he's unlocked, well, he has a lot of feelings going on. He's got an axe grind. Yeah, because when he is saying about how everybody refers to him as the champion, He's not the champion. No. And they do this great backstory about how Adam's son, Hurat, was the one who was the one with the powers. Mm-hmm. And he sacrificed himself mm-hmm. to save his dad because when there was an assassination attempt by King Antak, that is where you saw the hero really emerge. And when he the powers were transferred, his son winds up dying mm-hmm. and right in Black Adam's arm. So he goes completely crazy because his mother was also, or his wife was killed. Yeah, wife was killed before the son was, yeah. Yeah, so you understand why. He's like, no, my son was the real hero. He's the one that was granted the powers at the beginning, but he gave him up to me to save my life. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, yeah, you see that when the son is killed, Black Adam just goes crazy. Yeah. And right. rightfully so. And that's when you go, okay, no, yeah, the rage was justified. Yeah, so once he's in the Rock of Eternity, you know, he's never supposed to get out. And then, sure enough, when all is said and done, when you see the battle with Ishmael at that point is done, Mm -hmm. that he has basically said, I've done everything I can do. He's more or less talked in the sense that, yeah, I shouldn't be having these powers. I shouldn't be Yeah, I'm causing more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, so it is kind of a wild scenario going on here because at this point, too, he is still reflecting on the fact that he almost got Amon killed. He thought he did mm-hmm. at one point, but he was just wounded. Yep. Because he did make the save because Ishmael tried to kill him, but he wind up killing him, as, or so we thought. Yeah. And he now is imprisoned by the JSA. In a Task Force X black site. Yes, which is interesting to see. There's a lot of people locked up in there. Yeah. Those those uh, cells were occupied. occupied mm-hmm. I, I wonder who was in there. Yeah. Some of them were rather large. 
Yeah, they got some explaining to do over mm-hmm. there. Now, granted, I'm not saying that's going to tie into a Suicide Squad movie, but I think that... Uh, we'll well, so if they there. need to dip into the roster a little bit, that looks like they got some candidates. Oh, they got some candidates, all right. Amanda Waller doesn't play around. Like, if anybody's not familiar with how much of a badass character she is, she really runs the DCU and does not care about who she kills to get the job done. Ever. So as we see, he's now in prison. He swears that he's never going to say the word Shazam again to cause his powers. He's now taken underground, uh-huh. and while they're flying away, the JSA comes across things might not be done. Dr. Fate starts having this vision come to well, him. Well, he's still having the same vision that like he thinks, and, and we, the audience, are like, well, this is weird. It feels like the movie's about them, but it doesn't feel like things are over yet. Mm. But Black, or not Black Adam, uh, Dr. Strange is on the plane, like half asleep, still having the visions he's been having off and on throughout the movie of seeing Hawkman die. And he's like, wait a minute, what? why am I still having these visions if the threat is over? Yeah. It's a wild scenario going on, but Pierce Brosnan really nailed the the gravity of the situation here. He really felt the moment, and obviously he knows that his friend's going to die, and he doesn't know how or why. But he's thinking, okay, how can we prevent this? Meanwhile, like we said, we thought Ishmael got killed. He was wearing the crown when he died. Mm-hmm. So obviously the whole thing about him acquiring the crown of Sabak. He gets back. He puts it on. So, obviously, the li- the lineage is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And apparently, this was all a play by him that he wanted Black Adam to kill him. Yeah, because he gets taken to hell. And the six uh, demons, I guess, that, if I remember correctly, yeah. that infuse their powers into the crown go, Hey, look, we've been waiting for you. Yeah. You're our champion. We're going to imbue you with our powers. And we're going to send you back. Yeah, so they send him back. So, you see this big demon come flying through. And basically taken over Kondok by himself. Well, and he's taking out Kondok. All the meanwhile, the JSA picks up picks it up on their radar that something's going on over in Kondok. And they're like, uh, we need to get there now. Yeah. So they're going there. You see the Adriana Amon and Karim. Who, who We got to say, too, he was hysterical in this movie. Oh, he was great. Mohammed Amir mm-hmm. was great. He just was stealing scenes, too. Left and right, and when you see that the undead army is coming into Kondok, yeah, he's fighting everybody off Walking Dead style, mm-hmm. and it was epic, just epic. Like I said, the, the comedic timing he had throughout this movie, spot on, especially the soundtrack too. Yeah, the which, soundtrack was phenomenal. The soundtrack is very, very underrated. I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot of TikToks this week, but they did such a phenomenal job about making him just a funny character to balance out the, the seriousness of the situation, because when you see Ama or uh, Ishmael come back and he's leading the undead army. Like what is going, like how do you prepare for this? But Amon uses this as a rallying point for the people mm-hmm. and they use their chant. Like you know, bring the champion, bring the champion mm-hmm. to paraphrase a bit. And Dr. Fate knows what's going on. And he realizes they are so underpowered for this. Yeah. He's like, we need to do this, but we're going to do this my way. So as they get to the ruins of the castle, he locks out everybody from the JSA. He goes in on a virtual suicide mission himself. Yep. Meanwhile, he somehow can translate his subconscious to get to Black Adam mm-hmm. and says, hey, we're in trouble. SOS. Yeah, like you might be on suspended animation, but we need you. And during this point, he winds up waking him up out of that whole Cryo-sleep. cryogenic sleep he's in, and you see Black Adam fighting his way out. All meanwhile, he's got a breathing tube down his throat. Yeah, it's one of the more badass scenes you're going to see in, in all of action films. But it works, though, because he's now in the middle of Antarctica, which I'm assuming. Yeah. Because they're keeping him completely off, off the radar. He's underwater. Yep. 
and he winds up escaping, even though like he's getting shot at and all the whole nine. And he gets freed, and in the water too, he finds the like the strength to say Shazam because he sees his dead son and uh, wife, mm-hmm. and they're saying like you're not ready yet. You need to go save the people. You need to be the symbol. So while this is going on, fate gets killed. Yeah. By the demon. Yep. You know the demon Ishmael. And is just a brutal scene that you see, like, Hawkman's freaking out, you know, oh, yeah. rightfully so, because he knew that that was going to be his moment. Well, because uh, a little bit ago in the film, uh, Dr. Fate had confer- conveyed to Hawkman that he had seen his death, mm-hmm. but he wasn't specific where or how or when. Right. He just said, hey, it's, it's coming up. I've seen it. And they were like, hey, listen. And Hawkman was ready to sacrifice himself and go and go in the, in the throne and, and ready to kill him. But uh, Dr. Fate's like, well, there is plan C, which was him go sacrifice himself. So Hawkman's got to be feeling some sort of guilt. Of it, like, fuck, that should have been me. Yeah, exactly. So while this is going on, the JSA finally gets in there. And Sabak, demon, whatever you want to define him as, is running crazy and absolutely smashing through everybody. And we see now that Adam Smasher should never have been in this battle at all. Yeah. Just completely waste of time. I'm sorry. Is what is Cyclone is completely outclassed in her own right, even though like she was holding her own at one point, but still, it's just a different level of fighter. Exactly. Like I'm sorry. Like this is one of the problems I had with the movie is like you had inexperienced people in for this kind of situation. Just it was a virtual Suicide Squad without saying the Suicide Squad. Hawkman is fighting. He's getting thrashed all over the place too. And just before everything is going to be lights out for everybody, Black Adam shows up in fully ready costume to go. Like the one mm-hmm. you know from the comics, mm-hmm. and they are battling, and they're not holding anything back. And how this all kind of boils out to is Hawkman picks up a little trick from Doctor Fate, because Fate has disappeared at this point. Yep, the helmet's yeah. still there. The helmet is still there, which is a complete Doctor Fate move too. Like I, when I saw this happen, I'm like, yeah, this is something Doctor Fate does. Like I say, he does weird things. Why pad reasons, but it works here because he does create. And Hawkman does with the helmet an optical illusion to buy some time that allows Black Adam to kill the demon once and for all. Yep. So it seems like we're going to have a somewhat happy ending to a degree because during this time he was just known as the man in black Mm -hmm. and he did not have a name. And the Justice Society is kind of saying, like, we could use you. And he basically says, no, I'm going to let you know the decree right now. Kondok is my home. Nothing is happening here. It is under my protection. You have been warned. And Hawkman's just like, okay. Yeah, he. well, at this point, like they've been fighting all film, and he's like, I have nothing left. I know I'm not going to win this battle. You just stay off our radar. We'll stay off yours. We'll call it a day. And that's when you see Amon says, like, you need a new name. And that's where it ends. Mm-hmm. However, though, there is a bonus scene. Mm-hmm. That got everybody on the internet exploding. Yeah. We held off saying this in the intro because, obviously, I think we're going to take a little dive on this one. You see that Amanda Waller has now gotten word to Black Adam. Well, at least word has reached her about what's going on and that he's staying there and he's not going into their jurisdiction. Yeah. And basically, he, he gives the same warning. But Amanda Waller, like, if you've never read Suicide Squad or any comic she's in, she doesn't care who you are. No. Dark side, whatever, nothing. She even says as much, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, so this drone shows up and it gives a little holographic projection of her talking to him. 
And she goes, hey, all right, you know, you caused a bit of trouble, but here's what we're going to do. Condock is now your prison. You know, long as you stay there, you're fine. Mm-hmm. The instant you step out of there, you're under arrest and we're bringing you in. And he goes, go ahead, try and, you know, and she basically, she threatens him. And she he basically calls her bluff and says, hey, listen, I've seen what your world has and it doesn't scare me. Send anything of this world you know, up against me. And she counters back with, well, if, if you want, I can call in some favors of stuff, not of this world. Mm -hmm. And he just says, send it. And it, and destroys the drone. And that's when a figure comes out of the air, smashes into the ground, kicks all the dust up in the air. And you hear a very familiar voice say, you know, it's been a while since something has caused this much of a stir. And you hear the 1970s mm-hmm. John Williams Superman theme start playing. And who walks out of the dust? Henry Cavill as Superman. Back in blue. Uh-huh. With the little curl of hair. Yep. And says, we need to talk. Mm-hmm. And that's how it ends. Which Henry Cavill has officially came on Instagram saying he is back. Yep. We did hear word Man of Steel 2 is in pre-production. Yep. So stay tuned for that. Yep. But... What a way to kick off this new era of the DC Studios. One of the better mid credit scenes I've seen in quite some time. Absolutely. They really nailed this. I mean, there was a lot that was going on. And the one thing, too, throughout this movie is you saw Dwayne Johnson not play Dwayne Johnson. No. And that's something we have to really applaud there, for. There wasn't a people's elbow. There wasn't a rock bottom. Right. The, the, he raised eyebrows, but it wasn't in that rock fashion you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, so... He kind of avoided the mannerisms you would typically expect The Rock to do. Yes. And this is where it works because he really wanted to establish that this character was on his own. It was conflicted because he went back and forth a lot for the legacy of his son to where mm-hmm. he was still fueled by vengeance. And mm-hmm. that's something that Black Adam does use in the comics. So I'm, I'm glad they did this because you really captured who he is. And like I say, is he more of an anti-hero? I mean, I don't feel he is. I think he's just a villain. That if you cross him, he's not afraid to cross a line. He's what they need him to be. Exactly. And it works. Because basically, it's stay out of conduct under any circumstance. If you do something to upset the people of conduct, he will find you. And he will do what he does best. Well, he'll do what he needs to do. If, if he has to work with the Justice League or the Justice Society of America to achieve his own ends, he will. Yeah. If he has to punch those same people in the face to get what he wants, he'll do it. Exactly. So it's an interesting dynamic in this one thing that they captured. I didn't come out of this feeling an antihero. I really didn't. Mm, a teeny bit, a little bit, not full blown. Well, the only time it kind of came in that situation was during the final battle. Sure. Because... He was working for the JSA trying to help them. Sure. I mean, it's a reluctant, like, friend of, you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend. friend, Yeah. That was the kind of vibe I had from that. But I never felt like at any point, like, he was really fully all in, like, I'm going to do good. Oh, no, no. He didn't have the Han Solo, you know, moment of regret. Like, ah, shit, I should have done this. I'm coming back, kid. Yeah. No, he didn't. He didn't have the Han Solo moment. No, because, I mean, with all the powers of the wizard he has, he could really take over the world if he wants to. Like, Yeah. yeah, he could. Because he is with great power with no responsibility. Like, he is just fueled by his own means. Yeah. And that's what makes him the most dangerous. He is limited by nothing less than his own imagination. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to see how this all works, but they really captured this. And it's something so smart about this, too, that now with him going into different movies, I'm sure that they're going to try leaning a little more in the next film to the anti-hero vibe. Probably. But the question is, what do you do for a next film? 
And I know... Boy, I don't know. See, that's the argument you're going to have. I think they might borrow maybe a little more from the 52 run. Could be. And I think that would be a smart play. Could be. If you try doing him versus Superman, I mean, you can do that. I just don't know how that's going to go off. I think it'll be a situation, and I know we talked about this when we were coming out of seeing the movie. I think it could be a situation where, like, that'll be the setup, but it won't be the story. Mm-hmm. That, like, you'll get partway through the battle or, like, partway through the movie and realize, oh, hey, we've been played this entire time by some other entity that is looking at putting us against each other with the hopes that we just beat each other to death and then they can just come in and, and take over the place. Yeah. And, and that's when they realize, all right, we're getting played. We'll sell, you know, kind of like Thor and, and Hulk. Anytime they fight, they'll eventually cut. They'll, they'll butt heads. They'll fight, but then they'll come to a head and go, let's put this on pause and take care of business. You know, I think the same thing could happen in the next film. where like Superman, black Adam fighting each other. They go, all right, We'll solve this later. Let's go take care of business. Yeah, I mean, it might be a situation like that. I'd love to see him tie in Shazam. I think that might be the third movie. Well, you know, for Shazam, I think they have to put him in the third movie. Like, I think you have to do Shazam versus Black Adam. But the question is, for the pop culture audience, you know they're going to side with Black Adam. Mm-hmm. Like you, Because I'm sorry, The Rock is a bigger star. It's, it's the truth. How does that dynamic work? Like, that's going to be something interesting to see when it plays out. Or it could be a case of, like, the next one. Superman needs some help and he calls in some backup. And then comes Shazam. Well, that's the whole thing. Because at least by the continuity standards, and you know, Lord knows what this is at this point, Superman knows who Shazam is. Yeah. At least at least by the current continuity that we know that, that has been established. Because Superman shows up to meet uh, with Shazam and have lunch with the kids at the school. So mm-hmm. Superman knows who Shazam is. Yeah, so... So it could work vice versa. They're like, hey, I've got this guy who's got eerily similar powers to you. You want to give me a hand? Yeah, that's going to be the weird play that comes out of this. Because the one thing that people don't realize is Black Adam can hang with Superman. Oh, yeah. Because it's magic versus Kryptonian DNA. And that's one of uh, Superman's many weaknesses is magic. Yeah, he can't stand up to anybody with magic. That's why if you've ever read Kingdom Come, one of the best stories of all DC Comics, Mm -hmm. maybe all comics too, one of the best of all time. That's why Shazam is such a powerful weapon to be used against them. That's why I think in uh, Public Enemies, the animated film, where it's like Superman and Batman are Public Enemy number one, mm-hmm. that Shazam is like the old one of one of the few that can hold his own against Superman in those fights. Yeah. So it's going to be weird but fun to see what Black Adam goes from here. Side note, Public Enemies, if you haven't seen it, fantastic movie. You should watch it. Uh, I think it might be on HBO Max. Yeah, definitely, definitely should go check that out. It's a good movie. But overall, I thought they nailed it. I thought it was entertaining. That's what I needed it to be. Minus the JSA rookies, because I really just felt that they were there for comedic purposes. And Cyclone was all right. Cyclone was all right. Cyclone then. was all right. You know, that was very much like the, hey, I'm the new one, you know, and I and I was all right with that. I would, would have been, I understood why Adam Smasher was there, because he can fucking smash atoms, and that's how you create nuclear explosions. Mm-hmm. Totally understand. He, you know, he's plan X. You know, if shit goes sideways, hey, just blow everything up. Yeah. We'll, you know, we'll take the PR hit, you know, but just way too much comedic timing. Like if you're going to have him in another another movie, dial back the comedic timing just a little bit. Yeah, like I said, or I personally would love to see Ted Grant and Alan Scott. I know I got them mixed up, but, you know, it's, it's been so long since I've seen JSA because I'm so used to saying Wildcat, Green Lantern. I would have loved to see like somebody get mixed in there, too. And there's just such a plethora of people you could use in JSA. I thought it came off a little better, especially if you want to try rolling them out into a JSA show on HBO Max. I know it's kind of early saying. But you do have that possibility. Anything on HBO Max at this point is a suspect. 
Well, yeah, that goes without saying, too. But everybody should be watching Stargirl. If you want to see a cool interpretation of the JSA, watch it on the CW. They do a really good job about capturing the essence of the JSA. But for what they need to do for the DC films, I really thought they did a great job moving yeah. it forward. I think that there is definitely money to be made here, and especially for a property that is not a household name. The fact that you attached an A-list superstar to it brought a lot of eyes to the product. I know that Black Adam is now featured a little more in the DC Comics universe. Has been lately, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a, win, yeah. it's a win-win overall, and you just got to capitalize on the success. Because now you got people interested about the JSA, because people are checking out Hawkman. Like, that is another big win. Yeah. You have people asking for Hawkman content. Well, and, and outside of some of the more recent cartoons, I can't speak for those, but in terms of, you know, he was in Super Friends, but he was never really anything big in Super Friends. Mm-hmm. And then was never featured in Batman Animated Series or The New Adventures, was not featured in Superman. And then he uh, he might have been in Justice League, but like it was more Hawk Girl was on the Justice League in the cartoons. Mm-hmm. Hawkman was there, but like he was there for a couple episodes and then he was gone. Yeah, Hawkman's just got a whole like the history of Hawkman is just a, a yeah. It, it's a weird place. <laughs> and and the other thing I gotta say too is you know based off of a story I'd read over the weekend, sometimes movie delays and reshoots aren't the worst thing in the world. Oh. Because of Black Adam having to do reshoots and having to do pickup shots for VFX stuff, that's the only reason Cavill was able to do the cameo. Oh, nice. To do the cameo. Because he was busy with something else at the time, didn't have the time to do it, but because the movie got delayed a little bit and they had to do reshoots, that opened a window for him to do the cameo. Oh, very cool. And, you know, it works out that way. So now it's a big win moving forward. Final thoughts on the show? Uh, Phenomenal movie. Uh, awesome action sequences. Like, I cannot recommend this enough. That, like, this is the first DC movie, honestly, since maybe uh, since maybe Man of Steel that I would say to, like, everybody, hey, go watch this. This is awesome. Don't get me wrong. You know, Wonder Woman was great. You know, Aquaman was great. You know, Shazam was great. You know, but this is the first movie, I think, for me, since maybe Man of Steel 1, where I was genuinely excited to see what comes next. Because the rest of those, it's like, well, who the fuck knows? Mm-hmm. You know, who the fuck knows what they're going to do at this point? This, though, I am genuinely excited for everything they do with this property. I said show because, you know, this feels like this is going to wind up on HBO Max in some capacity. Like, we're going to see a spinoff. That's how good this was. Entertaining is all hell. Like, if you went in for this looking for a deeper script, there really isn't anything to do unless you bring in Shazam. And they weren't going to do that for this one. No way. They established who he was. You got a great figure that you can build around for this next phase of DC films. Take it as a win, Warner Brothers. Take it as a win, DC Comics fans. Shazam vs. Black Adam is the main course. You don't give the main course during the appetizers. Facts. So we'll have to wait to see when that happens, though. In the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Black Adam? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? And what do you think about the future of DC Studios moving forward after this? Let's talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to The Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the YouTube username at Caption Life. You'll get a new episode from us every week, so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out.
coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And wow, simply wow. Mm-hmm. HBO Max's huge, huge hit has finally come to the season one finale. The Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon, left everybody shaking on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. So, Pat, I know you got some numbers revolving around this. Yeah, so reading from an article courtesy of the folks over at Variety.com, it says, quote, House of the Dragon brought in 9.3 million viewers after airing its season one finale on Sunday, this according to Warner Brothers Discovery. This includes both linear viewers who caught the episode during its four airings on HBO's cable channel and HBO Max streams throughout through the night. That makes episode 10 titled The Black Queen... HBO's most-watched series finale since predecessor Game of Thrones concluded its eighth and final season with 19.8 million viewers in 2019. Uh, so, But it was, however, not able to beat its highest uh, of the, uh, rating of the series, which was for episode two, which got 10.2 million viewers. But still, the highest series finale, or excuse me, season finale in HBO since the uh, original Game of Thrones season, uh, season finale, series finale in 2019 pretty good no you gotta take this as a win i know when this show came out we were all kind of a little skeptical about what it was going to be because obviously prequels are either hit or they're big miss yeah no matter where you go whatever fandom they don't always hit the mark this one had a lot of pressure on it and we can't deny that yeah because obviously with how bad game of thrones ended in a lot of people's minds well and especially just how beloved the series in general was up until that final season mm-hmm. where everyone was talking about the books and you know, the show and how good it is. And it's so it's unlike anything you've seen on TV and just this, it like it, I'd never heard of the books. I'd heard of the, I'd heard of the show. I watched the show. I then spent like five years reading the books. Yeah. You know, just how big it was, you know, and, and just how bad a taste it left in everyone's mouth after that season series, final season, because I have yet to actually, I'm sure some people out there exist, mm-hmm. you know, 7 billion people on the planet. However many people have watched game of Thrones over the years, I'm sure there are some people out there who enjoyed the final season. And if you did, hey, more power to you. Do you? But the majority of folks, I I would say, have varying degrees of displeasure towards the final season. Mm-hmm. You know, so the fact that you you come from the ashes of, you know, what some people consider ruining, ruining a fantastic franchise to now like a phoenix coming out of those ashes and having a phenomenal first season of a, a prequel series. Kudos to you. I mean, on a scale of Dexter to Breaking Bad, I mean, the last season leans more towards the Dexter one, not the remake. We have to stress that, not the remake. And it's not quite Dexter bad, but it's close. It has the moments of of hope, and it just goes completely away. Dexter, last season, I'm sorry, worst one, in my opinion, of all time. But to see how this show really connected goes to the cast and what they pulled off with this. And I know that we always hype Emma Darcy every week, uh, Patty Constantine. I always thought did a solid job as the king. Like, I don't like the material he was given, but he really made the most out of it, especially near the death scene. Mm-hmm. Which, I'm sorry, at this point, we've we've already discussed this as nauseum. Like, he's been gone from the show for a couple of episodes now. A little bit. But, and obviously, we will never forget the franchise, Matt Smith, Damian Targaryen. Mm-hmm. When you have all them mixed in, and then you start getting in Olivia Cook, who ascends as Queen Allison Hightower, mm-hmm. and you start developing what made Game of Thrones special. Yep, and that's the battle between houses, the inner p- politics that goes on in the medieval time period setting is probably the closest we can describe it. Yeah, 
it is an interesting thing when you can pull it off well. This show captured that old magic mm-hmm. that we didn't think it was going to happen. Like, I mean, they sure it was going to tie into it a little bit. I thought there was a shot just for the simple fact there were two new producers on this show that had nothing to do with this prior series. Mm-hmm. The fact that it was a fresh pair of eyes and a fresh pair of hands working on the show, I thought there was promise. Yeah. But it, it, it all comes down to a whole lot of intangibles, and, well, they nailed most of them. Yeah, they nailed most of them, and that's what the thing that they needed to really hit that mark to. Like, we can't stress that enough. If this show bombed, it was oh yeah, it would have been ugly on social media. Like, and it, and it would have been bad for Warner Brothers Discovery. Oh, absolutely! Like, they could not afford to take an L with this, and they didn't because this show has just been capturing the ratings, capturing viewers, and especially for a franchise that was really on the fence of, like, where it ranked in popularity. Like, everybody is now back on board. Oh, well, and it just from the sheer fact of, like, you think of how much the the original series was a part of pop culture and the mm-hmm. water and the water cooler Oh, talk, God, yeah. To how fast it fell off after the series ended. There was, sure, there was some discussion in the weeks and a couple months after the series ended. Mm-hmm. But it went from everyone was talking about it, even when the show wasn't on. They were speculating about what was going to happen and what do you think about this, what do you think about that, to... The show ended, and it was an, oh, my God, how could that have been so bad? You know, thank God it's over, and to no one was talking about it. Yeah. Well, we live in a day and age with pop culture that medium is disposable. Mm-hmm. And it's a here today, gone today mentality. It's sad. I'm sorry. Like, But as the way of the world. Like, you can be hot today and gone tomorrow. Yeah. Like, that's how fast things move. And that's why you always got to really stay on top and really stay consistent with your work. And for this show, they captured that old magic and they still stayed consistent throughout these episodes. Like, sure, there's a couple ones that are kind of like, eh, I don't know. Sure. But that was early on. But once they hit their stride, and much like Game of Thrones season one, once you start getting that back end of the season, mm-hmm. like, you really hit those points. Let's say the stone starts rolling downhill. Yeah. And once you really saw the frenemy battle go on the proverbial Hatfields and McCoys <laughs> it really took off and went in some really fun directions going into this finale we thought there was going to be some really craziness going on we were not disappointed nope so now it's time to talk a spoiler free statement about episode 10 entitled the black queen pad what you think thought it was a phenomenal series of uh, series cut season finale um, you know, it was interesting, though, because it wasn't necessarily the bombastic, you know, batshit crazy. Oh, my God, I'm, I, I got to rewatch it nine times to understand what I understood. There was still some of that, but it felt like, you know, a chess move where a chess is obviously not one in like two or three moves. It takes multiple, multiple moves to do it. This felt like a, a setup to something bigger, and I'm interested to see where they go from here. I thought it was a solid ending for the season one. I know we're not going to have another episode until 2024. Yeah, it's two years. They, they start filming uh, early next year. Right. So they needed to leave the fan base on a very big cliffhanger. They did. And I really liked how they got there. Mm-hmm. I thought it took a little too long, and maybe it felt a little telegraphed. But at the end of the day, I don't think it was bad. I just think that they could have maybe tightened up a little things here and there. But like I say, I'm just looking at it with a magnifying glass. Overall, I thought they really hit their points. I really think that going into the season uh, next season, the fan base is going to be rabid for that premiere. Yeah. I think there's a lot of water cooler talk, as you, as you kind of referred to, and I'm, I perfectly agree with you, that is going to carry this on. And when you see that first trailer come out for that new season, 
lookout. Mm-hmm. That said, in three, two, one, it's spoiler time. Talk to me. This episode was awesome. You know, it was it was a solid series finale. It wasn't necessarily the best. God, I keep saying series. Uh, it was a solid season finale. Was it the best season finale of all time in every every show ever? No, but it was still a great season finale that absolutely had some shock moments and whoa, I can't believe I just saw that moment. You know, and and left me excited for you know the next season. Sucks it's going to be not be for two years, but is what it is. That's why it feels like a series finale to me too. Like we're not going to see it for so long, and like we discussed, things move so fast, we're going to forget about this. Legitimately, not on purpose. But we're going to be sitting here probably in July next year going, oh, yeah, Game of Thrones is coming out. Or uh, Toss of the Dragon. Oh, yeah. And then, obviously, the fandom will start kicking back in. But they left everybody on a big note. The last uh, 10 minutes of the episode really set the stage for what is to come. And I think they nailed it. Because the beginning of it, we're still dealing with the effects of King Viserys' death. Mm -hmm. And now Princess Rhaenyra has finally told everybody that, yeah, Prince Egon is now the king. Yeah. How does everybody feel about this? Uh, varying degrees of cool. Wait, fucking what now? Yeah. Damien is ready to throw down. He's ready to kill everybody. I know. The man, the myth, the legend. Salute to you, Matt Smith. He is like ready to go, but this unfortunately causes Rhaenyra to go into premature labor. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, she loses her child. Yeah. So did not expect to see that level of uh, graphic stuff that early. No, but this wow. one, this is one thing the series is not shied away from. Yeah, is they have been graphic since day one. I mean, this is something that Game of Thrones did as well too. They did soften a little bit as they started getting on to the later years, but yeah. at the beginning, this is right on point. And obviously for House of the Dragon, remember first couple episodes. They were cutting off limbs. That's true. They were getting. That's true. They were getting as graphic as possible. So this stayed consistent with that, and you know, as far as the you know very intense scenes. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't too surprised. But you're right. We haven't seen a, an episode like this. Yeah. In quite some time. And I wasn't upset by it. I just was sitting there and I'm watching. I'm like, whoa! I wasn't necessarily expecting this. Yeah. So after this fallout happens. Viserys' crown is now in the possession of Rhaenyra, who is declared queen. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, Alicent is not going to be happy with this. No. And you do see that the warring families are having this standoff mm-hmm. conversation. The bat- Well, the battle lines are getting drawn, and they're basically, like, they're counting their armies. They're counting their men and their, and their you know... Uh, numbers and then seeing, all right, how do we measure up against this? And they're even bringing up some of the factions and in some familiar factions, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the Lannisters get mentioned at one point, you know, and then they're bringing up like, all right, well, here's who's on whose side. Here's some neutral factions we don't quite know about. And we're trying to figure out, are they on our side or are they on the other side or are they, are they going to stay neutral? And who do we have a shot at talking to? Yeah. So it's, it's basically, you know, the war hasn't kicked off yet, but they're drawing the battle lines. and They're like, all right, who can we count on? Yeah, because Damien's ready to kill everybody. Yeah, he is. Which I love. I Seriously, he's just like, all right, we got a problem. All right, we're going we're gonna to sell this right now. It's like fucking Fortnite. Where are we dropping in? Yep, exactly. Love it. But you, as you see, they're trying to recruit everybody they can. And this is one thing that we know that we're going to war. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the big thing from this episode is the battle lines. Like, the time for talking is done. Mm-hmm. And Rhaenyra and Allison's frenemy feud is now came to that boiling point. They'll say the powder keg ain't exactly kicked off yet, mm-hmm. but that uh, gunpowder is lit and it's maybe about a couple inches away from blowing. Yeah. And once this happens, well, 
you do see that everybody is just like I say, it's a massive grab mm-hmm. to get allies. And, yeah. and that's like I say, you see everybody is trying to do this. You see the Baratheons are, are getting brought into this and they're not getting down to support anything Renera's doing because there's nothing in for them. And then you see that like everybody's trying to offer like hands of marriage. Yeah. To settle things. I mean, that's just one thing they do in Game of Thrones, but nobody's getting into this. And this also causes a very, very awkward scene. Mm-hmm. Because like I say, most of this episode is just everybody's recruiting everybody. It's game planning. It's game planning. Like I say, and, and it's one thing I like because it's those inner workings of the politics. Right. And I and I like how they were mentioning some of the areas and, and castles and whatnot from Game of Thrones that we were familiar with. Because they started mentioning places. And, and while I couldn't remember the house names or such, they mentioned, you know, the Twin Rivers and all this. I'm like, oh, right, that place. And, like they were drawing it back and making connections that I could connect to and go, oh, okay, I know that place. Yeah, because obviously this is going to tie up the entire realm. Yeah, it is. And nobody's going to be safe out of this. So when you're seeing about houses are pledging and houses are d- denying, everybody's politicking. And that is the big thing with this, mm-hmm. that no matter how you're trying to spin this out, no matter how you're trying to do anything, it's just not working. And when you're seeing that the you know Lord Baratheon is not getting any kind of support here, mm-hmm. he is responsible for causing the biggest powder keg, though. And that is where you have Lucerans, who is Rhaenyra's son, mm-hmm. is trying to obviously sell the point of supporting Rhaenyra. Yeah, he gets sent over as an ambassador. Yes. And while he's there... Prince Amon is there. Mm-hmm. Amon is the one who lost his eye yeah. to said Lucerin. Yeah. So when this is happening, you know this is going to cause problems. Mm-hmm. And these two, no matter how much time has passed, they're never going to be on the same page. No. So this is just setting up for disaster. And at this point, too, Amon is offering, I will get married to your daughter, Lord Barros, if you want to side with us. Mm-hmm. But before I do anything, I'm going after Lucerne. <laughs> like, so the deal that you think is going to go down yep. is now off the table because Aaron is, or Amon is just like, nope, fuck this. Fuck your couch. Yep. I don't give a shit. I see that little kid. I'm teaching him a lesson. I'm going crazy, and you and you like you see Lucerne is is like what is going on? Like mm-hmm. we're supposed to you know be peaceful. I was I will say this though. I was surprised he came there by himself. Yeah, that was one thing I was not expecting. Yeah, well he was confident he could handle it on his own. Right, but at this stage too, I mean, I I also have to remember that these kids are now very much older. Yeah, but they're not like in their twenties. No, like it's, they're late teens. They're late teens, which, I mean, this is also another thing, but it's a Game of Thrones thing, too. They let the youth of their show really run situations. Yeah. And sometimes it has great outcomes, sometimes not so much. This is one of the situations, not so much. Because, as you see, the squabbling family is re- is basically fighting on somebody else's castle, mm-hmm. which is not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to win you any brownie points. Right. And as you see, Lucerans takes off on his dragon, mm-hmm. Eric's, but Amon is not willing to let him go. Nope. So during this colossal rainstorm. Mm-hmm. It's like a hurricane-looking thing. Yeah. Amon is on Vagar, who is the biggest dragon, I think, in all the realm. That was an awesome shot where you see Lucerans, uh dragon Eric's, and then you just see the shadow silhouette 
of Aegon's dragon, and you just realize how fucking big it is, and you just go, Jesus. Yeah, which you have to go there, all right, if they got the biggest dragons in all the realm, I mean, as far as we know, I mean, that's the most powerful weapon you can have. Yeah. How are you going to match up to this? And it doesn't matter what Jacer has been doing, because obviously he's been out trying to recruit the other houses amongst the land. When Lucerin tries to go in Baratheon and he's denied, he already kind of knows he's on a low borrowed time because he leaves there, but he's scared out of his mind too. And then once you see that shot of the huge dragon flying over him, mm-hmm. then you start getting into an aerial battle, and then you see that Arax decides to just to go off the rails on his own right. Well, they both do. Yeah. Well, at this point... Well, both dragons go off the rails. Both dragons are feeling the emotions of their riders, which that's something that is known in the Game of Thrones universe. They, they, they kind of uh, touched upon it, yeah. Yeah, but this is the first time I think we've really seen that play out. Because, I mean, even in Game of Thrones, we there were dragons, but they weren't like well, the, in your there, face like this. Episode, there, was a, so. there was a stretch in the middle seasons where one of them, I forget which one it is, wasn't exactly listening to Daenerys mm-hmm. and, and had to get, like, whichever one, it got locked up for a couple yeah, couple, couple episodes in one of, the, one of the seasons. So... But not to anything close to this level. No, it's because like this level, like we're seeing actual dragon fights, which, like I say, didn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. But now we've already had a few here. And as you see, they're flying through the sky. Arax is the one that decides to go after the the big dragon, which is the foolish move. Mm-hmm. And you understand that a grave mistake has been made. Yeah, Vegar kills that dragon. Yeah, well, this and this is done. Despite Aegon saying no, 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 like I, well, I thought I heard it the first time. I wasn't sure, so I rewound it. Aegon is like pleading his dragon not to do it. Mm-hmm. He goes, "No, don't do it, don't do it," and the dragon just rips the other one right in half. Yeah, and it's a vicious scene, absolutely vicious. And I don't need to see a body when they were that high up. That boy didn't survive. Yeah, and then you see Aemon is just going, "Oh." Shit. I fucked up. I fucked up. Yep. I fucked up. Because the ramifications for this is a declaration of war. Yep. Not not that we weren't already there. It well it it likely could have been, you know, a, a cold war beforehand. We're like, hey, we don't like each other, but we're not exactly actively engaging against each other. No, now it's a full blown war. No, now there's the first casualty. And it's a big one. And it and it's the son of one of the royals. Yeah. Yeah. So now Amon is sitting there going, how do I explain this? <laughs> Good luck, kid. Which he knows he's on borrowed time because yeah. it might actually cost him his life. I, I was going to say, while I don't know what's going to happen, I would not be surprised if he gets hung out to dry for this. Oh, yeah, he's, he's got to. That, like, he's not, he's not bound, gagged, and sent on a boat over to Rainier and go with a note saying, hey, sorry, here you go. Yeah. And, no. and do with him what you will. He's now became public enemy number one. And then Damon finds out mm-hmm. and tells Rhaenyra, who gives the coldest look to the camera as the final shot of the episode. That final shot was incredible. Oh, my God. The cinematography on that. No sound, just the music playing in the background. And you just see her turn around and the stare could kill with knives exactly like jesus renera has gone through so much she gives zero fucks now it's i'm going to end this and i'm going to end alicent and her family she's gonna go scorched earth and she doesn't get she doesn't care who gets caught in the crossfire yeah and then the show is done Mm -hmm. wow like 
you cannot make that tension up any no. any better. The pacing was perfect. Like I say, they a lot of the beginning of this episode was just background moves that'll come into play next season. Mm-hmm. But once you got to that standoff between Amon and Lucerin, like or Lucerus, that is the one that you're going like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. And it's and I know some people online were criticizing. Well, you know, it was an accidental death, and now like that kind of waters down everything. The one side ain't gonna see it that way. No, I mean this is this is how it plays out. Like you you don't need like a dramatic reason. The tension has been building there. I mean, technically, if you want to say Rhaenyra could go after Alicent just because you slid Aegon in for the throne. Like that, and you know what? Nobody would have batted an eye. Now you have a reason mm-hmm. for vengeance. And basically, the only person who wins here is Damien. Yep. Because now he's like, I'm going to kill everybody. Now he's got an excuse. Yep. Now he's like, oh, yep, this is my get out of jail free card because I am going to go crazy. Because I am just going to amount the biggest body count I can in this whole series. Like, that is the only thing that is going to be wild to see because he now knows Amon is responsible. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Like, I mean, I don't know exactly how they can figure out it was him, but you do know that Lucerin is dead. Right. Well, somebody could have or seen, Somebody could have found the body or something, like one of their own ships or one of their own forces. Well, you know what I'm kind of wondering? If somebody snitched from the House of Baratheon. Yeah, maybe. Like somebody, somebody tipped them off somehow. I mean, granted, I don't know. They, not like they could send them a text message. Or I mean, I, I also think it could just be a case of like somebody was in the area, saw you know a dragon falling to the sky, and since they were on the side of Rhaenyra, reported back like, "Hey, we don't know if anybody's in this area or supposed to be in this area, but like, hey, just a heads up, we just saw a dragon falling out of the sky," mm-hmm. and then they put two and two together. Like, wait, fuck, that's where you know the kid was. Oh shit! He falling on this guy. He's got to be dead. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting setup when they come back. I'm expecting now. Granted, obviously, I haven't even started filming. That first ten minutes of Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon season two is just going to be nonstop action. I think you're going to see the them hit the ground running. I think you're going to see Rhaenyra do something crazy. Like she might actually get on the dragon and start doing scorched earth herself. Like, that is how intense we're going to get into this. And we might actually have the first time ever, in my recollection, mm-hmm. a whole season of battle. Could be. Like, it's not out of the realm of thought to think that. Like, they have just literally did an entire 10 episodes of build. Mm-hmm. And they established that the, the family is feuding. Well, and I know that the one of the showrunners has said that for the next season, the pace is going to pick up and the, so will the blood for next season. Yeah, and it has to. There's no other way around it. But, man, what a way to end things on that. Pat, final thoughts? Insane final episode of the season. You know, loved everything about it. And just sucks that we got to wait two years. Yeah. But, you know, what will last. You know what? After the time off, they came back and they won. So, you know what? They are not doing anything wrong in my eyes. It's going to be an intense season two. So, if you're not cut off on season one, definitely give it a shot. If you tuned out because, obviously, Game of Thrones final season, it's a perfect time to jump back in. And now you have time to get really caught up and really into it. There's some strong acting all around on this show. And they're really making strides to just keep getting better and better. Like, that's the one thing about this. They've learned from the mistakes, and they've actually implemented corrections. Like, that's what you want after a bad season. House of the Dragon is definitely doing that. It's the cultural phenomenon for a reason. They're definitely hitting all the marks they need to. And like I say, when you have strong performances from Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook. And, of course, Matt Smith, just to name a few. That's a trifecta that's definitely making some noise. 
So I can't stress enough. If you haven't given the show a shot for whatever reason, definitely go do it. And then hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. What is your thoughts about the season one finale of House of the Dragon? Let's talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you tired of watching the same old awesome movies? Are B-movies more your style? Then the folks over at They Call This a Movie have you covered. Join us every Thursday as we review the worst of the worst in sci-fi, action, comedy, and more. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean at theycallthisamovie.podbean.com. They Call This a Movie, testing the strength of friendships one terrible movie at a time. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we got to be honest. Mm -hmm. Had this been a different week, this probably would have been the lead segment. Yeah. In all honesty. But Black Adam definitely has been dominating everything. Game of Thrones spinoff House of Dragon has been such a big thing on TV. But we were given a gift early. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of hype that broke Sunday about this. Was it going to be true? Were the rumors actually going to pan out? Because anytime you say Marvel Studios, everybody gets animated. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, like, you know, it's it's just now a, a part of the norm. It's the, yeah. it's the natural reaction. Mm-hmm. And I love how people are saying there's superhero fatigue. Trust me, there isn't. People are still going to the movies. They're still drawing big numbers. The machine keeps rolling, folks. Mm -hmm. So any of this nonsense of like, oh, it was just fatigue. That's why it wasn't such a big reaction. Uh, yeah, there was for a day. Yeah. But it still carries over because we were given the first trailer to the trilogy film. I can't believe I'm saying this. I know I can't. Of the Ant-Man franchise, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Let's say to people who think there isn't a hype for this, uh, I'm looking at the Marvel Entertainment video from the uh, Marvel's official YouTube account. Uh, this trailer was put out two days ago now. Uh, it's sitting at 17 million views, which doesn't seem like a lot nowadays. you know. But then you look at the fact that as we currently record, this trailer is still number four trending on all of YouTube. Yeah. Two days later. Exactly. Like, Marvel is still doing big things. They are the benchmark for everybody, which is good to see DC is catching up to them. Like, I'm not going to say we're completely one-sided because we're not. We go to all the movies. We support all the comic stuff. To see Marvel come back, though, obviously, it's a big event. No matter when you drop a trailer, you're going to have a reaction. And we have one to this, and we're going to give a breakdown of it. So we are going to just go into spoiler talk of the trailer. There isn't anything we really need to say spoiler-free about this, I don't think. No. So let's get into it. We are going to be talking spoilers about the trailer to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So you've been forewarned. So in three, two, one. Wow. Yeah. Another wow. Yeah. Whenever you kick off with Goodbye Yellow Brick Road from Elton John, unless you're talking GCW and Effie, which kudos to Rich from 3FN, he thought the same thing I did, <laughs> you know you're in for some something special. Uh-huh. Like I say, and, if, and this is Effie's theme music in GCW. Effie's amazing, too. So if you haven't seen him in the ring, it's you, do yourself a favor. Go check him out. When they kicked off with this, I was like, oh, this is a great pace for this trailer. And yeah. as we see... Life after Endgame has been a little better. Stat quo, I guess you could say, for as much as it can be for Scott Lang. Yes, because Paul Rudd is back in the title role, and you see that he has now accepted his celebrity status? Sort of. Sort of. I mean, he's named the employee of the century as Baskin-Robbins type place. And you see that he's greeting fans and going to Hollywood premieres with Hope Van Dyne, played by Evangeline Lilly. Thank you. I know Stu from SWO Productions just got a big laugh because he knows I struggle saying Evangeline because I always see that as Evelyn for some reason. 
It is what it is. There's a G in there, Evangeline. Yes. So you do see the dynamic duo is back together, and you see that Scott Lang still is not getting the respect that he always has. Nope. Uh, somebody calls him Spider-Man. And then we get a shot of a, of a new character, so to speak, at the House of Pym, if you will. And that is Cassie Lang, who's played by Catherine Newton. Mm-hmm. Now, Catherine has taken over the role because we've seen now, after Endgame, Cassie has been aged. Mm-hmm. She's been aged up a little bit. Yes, and for a lot of comic fans, you're going to know her as Stature from the Young Avengers, which, mark our words, is going to be coming out in some form. Whether it's Champions or Young Avengers, it's going to be happening. So, And if you're sitting there like me, and because I didn't realize it until I just looked it up, and realizing she looks really familiar, where do I know her from? Uh, you might know her as uh, Abigail Carlson from Big Little Lies. She was Lucy Stevens in Detective Pikachu. Uh, so oh, I, was, okay. I, was, I was like, oh, that's where I know her from. Uh, she was also Julie in uh, Cockblockers. Uh, and she was also in Angela, uh, played Angela in Three Billboards outside, uh, three the Three Billboards. Lord's movie. Okay. So definitely excited to see what she's going to do. And obviously they are building for that young Avengers team. Like whatever. So if it's not blatantly obvious already. Yeah. You can start putting the pieces together about who's going to make up that lineup. I'm still saying they're going to call it champions. Like, I'm now convinced about it. I don't think we're going to have a young Avengers per se. Like, like I said, like I said with, you know, the dark Avengers thing, I think from a, just a marketing standpoint and making it accessible and understandable to the casual moviegoer that doesn't read the comics, I can see him doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So as we see, they've been busy making a satellite for the quantum realm. Well, she has. You know, it, it, we don't really gather from the trailer if her parents were involved in, in this in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, but one person that is definitely against this is Janet Van Dyne. AKA the original Wasp, AKA yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. And she's like, what? what the fuck did you do? Why would you make that? And she's like, well, I want to help people. Like, you know, oh, when you were yeah. stranded there. Oh, yeah. And she's like, no, turn it off yeah. now. Yes. So as you see, everybody's in the room. Michael Douglas is back as Hank Pym. And everybody's kind of looking like, why is Janet freaking out? And she just has the look of fear, like, uh-huh. overcome her. And you see that thing starts going off, and they all wind up getting sucked into the quantum realm, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting scene as everybody's flying by. And you do see Cassie screaming for her dad, and he lets go and goes right in. I yep. know a lot of people were definitely feeling that scene, just the emotional pull. And then they wind up in the quantum realm, and you see this big visual shot, mm-hmm. very CGI, and everybody's trying to figure out, okay, what just happened here? I got to admit. The uh, Quantum Realm looks like it's seen some better days. Absolutely. And then you do see some characters that wind up making an appearance. And obviously, these are protectors of the Quantum Realm or different figures that are in for their own invested reasons. Because nobody really knows, but you're seeing that our group of travelers are just kind of standing there. You do see a shot of them walking through the Quantum Realm. And Janet Van Dyne's like, this is a universe under our own. Mm -hmm. And so she understands what's going on. Yeah. She is just really trying to play a coy. You do see there's one point that her uh, stature and Hank Pym are riding some kind of space creature, mm-hmm. almost like in a, in a, a Wastelands picture, yeah. like Old Man Logan style, yeah. which don't make the comparison. Obviously, they're not doing Old Man Logan here, but in that kind of vibe that they're, it's a very distant dystopian place, so mm-hmm. to speak. And you're seeing Hope is going, what are you so afraid of? And Janet's not saying a word, but she is hiding her face. She's scared. Yeah, and she's like, there's something I've never told you. Mm-hmm. And then we see a shot of a very futuristic city. And this, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, is Chronolopolis. 
the home of Kang the Conqueror, mm-hmm. who we do know Jonathan Majors is playing that title role, and we do see that his city is definitely doing stuff. Even though you hear the narration, the city is not what you think. Well, and we do see a quick shot where this like platform is coming down. And much in the same way you've seen in a couple shots prior, where like there's this circular whatever moving around, there is a figure on said platform standing there with a the helmet on, and it cuts away real quick before we can make out who it is in the head. And I'm willing to guess that's Kang. Yes. And as you're seeing the, the hearing the sounds of Elton John is still playing there, you're seeing Jana Van Dyne or Hope is actually like activating some wall. Mm-hmm. So not sure exactly what that's playing. Then they go into basically the version of the Tatooine bar. Uh huh. And then we get a shot of a very well-known actor. Yep. And that is who, Pad? The one, the only, Bill Murray. Who allegedly is playing the character Krylar. Hmm. So wait to see how this all goes, but seeing Bill Murray a part of this uh, is going to be an interesting dynamic added to this film. So yeah. So definitely don't think that was a one-off shot. No, maybe not. And as we're seeing our trio of uh, super-powered heroes at this point, Ant-Man, Stature, and the Wasp, are surrounded in the city. We see a Stranger uh, Things-type creature approaching Janna Van Dyne. Not exactly sure what's going on there. And you just hear Kang in the background. Mm -hmm. And he is just saying, like, if you help me, I can get you home Mm -hmm. and give you more time, which I thought was kind of interesting because the next shot you see, it looks like Stature disappears in the timeline. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, if you help me, and then you get a full shot of Kang flying in on a saucer. And you see the three heroes are just waiting there in their costumes going like, okay, what is all this? Well, and there's also a weird shot in this, and I'm playing it now. I'm going to slow it down a little bit. But it's after, you know, Kang's t- it's while Kang's talking, but it it's cuts to hope and hope. And, but then you see Scott. This is very clearly Scott running, but it's the body dissolving, and he's also running next to him in small form. So the body's dissolving, and then the Ant-Man helmet comes down and almost falls on him and crushes him. So there's some weird shit going on here. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I, at first glance, I thought that was actually stature, but, you know, you come to think of it, I mean, that looks like he's running from himself. Yeah. Which, this movie's going to be weird. It's going to be a trip. Yeah, so expect this. This is not nothing to be sneezing about. But as you see, like, the whole sky is falling around him, and it's a very intense scene because... We don't know what's going on, but something's making Scott Lang freak out. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you're seeing him running with his daughter. And then, the, the like we said, there's that shot of Kang descending upon the heroes. Mm-hmm. And then you get him going and approaching, and you hear the voice of Jonathan Majors going, so what's it going to be, Ant-Man? Mm-hmm. So he clearly knows who he is. Yep. He's and, familiar. Yeah. So And you do see the full shot of Jonathan Majors just there without the mask on. And that's how it ends with the trailer. Well, and you got to figure that while Ant Man might not be as well known as uh, Hope in the, in the quantum realm, seeing as she was in there for decades, mm-hmm. Ant Man was still in there for five years. Yeah, you know, so he might not be as well known, but in certain parts of the quantum realm, he might be known. Well, the one thing that you got to know about Kang is he is definitely aware of all the years he's traveled through time of who the Avengers are. So I'm sure he knows who Scott Lang is, just the reason of why he's taken such a specific interest in him. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the plot of the movie because I don't think it's a throwaway by any means that Scott Lang is doing what he's doing, that he is no. now sucked in there, and Kang has taken such an interest in him. Mm-hmm. Like that's the one thing. He's taken such an interest. So to see how this is all going to shape up, 
I definitely say I'm more excited about this movie than I thought it was going to be. Oh, well, and I'll just say this. It's only appropriate that Scott Lang put the universe back together in Endgame, uh, only to break it apart in his own sequel movie. Of course. He is the nexus mm-hmm. of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Forget blaming Peter Quill for things. Blame Scott Lang. Exactly. But, Pat, final thoughts on the trailer. No, this trailer looked awesome. I was already excited for this just because you have Kang showing up and not really knowing what's going to happen with it. But seeing this trailer and kind of like the it doesn't feel like it's going to be the stereotypical uh, almost heist movie that the first two have been. Mm-hmm. You know, not not a full-blown heist movie, but they've had elements of a heist movie to it. You know, just something the different flavor this one is getting has got me real excited. And I'm and I'm interested to see what happens and where things go. You had me a goodbye, Yellowbrick Road. Granted, I thought I was watching GCW and Effie was going to come out. And if Effie had, if Effie's in this movie, I will give it five stars right now because Effie is that amazing. He is fantastic. But overall, I, I'm going to say this: I have a better idea of think what they're going to do with this movie. I feel that they're going to go an Ocean's Eleven route. Good thing. That's my early prediction. They're going to do a heist of some sort with Scott Lang's background. I think that makes the most sense because I just can't see why Kang would take such an interest. In Scott Lang, otherwise, mm-hmm. like I just think there's something with the pin particles he wants. For what reason, I don't know. But it could be he's looking for an artifact, he's looking for a weapon, and Scott Lang is going to reluctantly help him and then get double crossed. Mm-hmm. Do I think he gets killed off? I'd be shocked. But it's not the realm of thought either. Too. There's a lot of different directions they can go with this, but I, I'm excited to see Jonathan Majors in the title role, and I think that. Once he gets a chance to really go in about a role. Because, I mean, we saw him in Loki, obviously. Oh, yeah, but that was the same character, different persona. You know, and it's going to be a different portrayal this time around. Exactly. So this is going to be a whole different character you're going to see out of him. And I can't wait to see it. Like, Kang is such a legendary villain in the Marvel Comics universe, primarily with the Fantastic Four and the Avengers. I always associate him more with the Avengers. Mm Mm-hmm. But he is still a force to be reckoned with, and I can't wait to see where we're going with that. That said, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? Coming out February 17th, but the trailer is out now, so let's discuss that trailer, and we'll go from there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Somebody cue the Elton John. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Let's keep the Marvel theme going from last segment. We did get another trailer. Uh, this one not for a movie, not for a TV show, but for another Marvel Studios special presentation. Uh, this is the upcoming holiday special. No, not Star Wars. Uh, it is the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, of course, yes. starring, starring all our Guardians that we are familiar with and love, written and directed by the one, the only James Gunn himself. Holy shit, this looks incredible. This looks fun. This looks outrageous. It looks hysterical. You know, I won't go into too many spoilers. I'll just say this. Uh, it is all they, they, they give in the trailer is that it is near Christmas time. Peter Quill is a little bummed and disappointed because he's missing Gamora. And in an effort to cheer him up, Mantis and uh, Drax go on a little bit of an adventure to try and cheer up uh, Quill. And it is hilarious. I cannot wait for this to come out. It is going to be hysterical. You know what it reminded me of in a weird sense? Mm-hmm. 
National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It might be inspired by it. I would not be surprised. There's definitely some overtones there. Mm-hmm. Looked fun, though. Looked absolutely fun. Looks fun. Uh, you can expect this to be streaming on Disney Plus on November 25th. All right. Uh, speaking of Disney Plus, you had a new Star Wars project drop on Disney Plus today as we record. Uh, and that is Tales of the Jedi. This is the series from Dave Filoni, uh, animated, uh, done by the crew over with uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars and uh, Rebels. Okay. And Bad Bad. So top-notch stuff. But this is the episode of shorts uh, focusing around specifically Ahsoka Tano and Count Dooku. Uh, We'll be talking about this more on next week's show. But for right now, I will say I have seen all six episodes. It's very easy to watch all six episodes in one setting. Uh, The first episode is 18 minutes. Episode two is 15 minutes. Uh, Episode three is 15 minutes. Episode four is 17 minutes. Episode five is 12 minutes, and then episode six is 16 minutes. So, okay. So you can easily do this, you know, in an afternoon. Um, but no, th- this show is awesome. It fills in quite a few holes. Uh, I like the one review I saw where it did a lot with not much, and I mean that, and it meant that in the best way possible. Okay. It fills in some holes, and it fills in some stuff from Clone Wars that, you know, you might have wondered and you might have had some questions with and also some stuff from the movies. You know, it, fill, it fills in a lot, you know, a lot of stuff from uh, from the movies. So it's it's very good. Highly recommend you check it out. Like I said, all six episodes are available now on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, this is one we're definitely going to deep dive into next week, but hearing a lot of good things about this right mm-hmm. now, so super excited to talk about it next week. Uh, switching over to some video game news, it was announced by the folks over at CD Projekt Red that they are working on a Witcher remake. Ooh. Uh, so reading from thewitcher.com, it says, quote, We are thrilled to announce that the Witcher remake is being worked on. That's right, the game that started it all is being rebuilt from the ground up in Unreal Engine 5. The game is currently in the early stages of development at the Polish studio Fool's Theory, where veteran Witcher series staff are involved. We, as CD Projekt Red, are providing full creative supervision. The Witcher remake is what you might know by the codename Canis Majoris. Uh, it's still early, and we want to ensure that the game is created with the utmost respect, or utmost care, excuse me, and attention to detail. Therefore, while we're excited to share the share the news with you, we ask you to uh, at, we want to ask you for patience, as it will be a while until we start talking about the project in detail. Uh, close quote. So I have not played Witcher One uh, under my radar. You know, flew under my radar when it came out. You know, but with this coming out some point down the road, I'll certainly give this a try because I've played Witcher Three. Witcher Three is phenomenal, mm-hmm. and, and if they can take anything they built up, you know, because Witcher One, I want from what I understand is linear. It's not necessarily as good as the later sequels. So if they can take what they built on and what they learned from the Witcher Two and Three and and all the other and the hell even uh, Cyberpunk and and build off of that and make an amazing remake, I'm all for it. Yeah, it definitely sounds promising. Like, I've kind of fallen off The Witcher a little bit, but I'm not, like, hating on it. Right. It was, was one of those things I definitely want to get back into at some point. Sure. Uh, and then switching over to some Doctor Who news, because, yo, there was a lot this weekend. Wow, there was a ton. Have not had a chance to see this uh, special yet, simply because, listen, it was two hours and Walking Dead was coming on and I made it, and I made the choice. Mm-hmm. You know, so at some point, uh, last I checked, it had not uh, made its way onto HBO Max yet. Uh, but we'll see when that drops. Uh, but spoiler alert, three, two, one. Uh, obviously, Jodie Whittaker uh, ended her run as the doctor on the show with this uh, most recent special. Mm-hmm. We're generating into what everyone thought was going to be the next gentleman uh, to play the doctor. Scooty. Yeah, Scooty. Uh, however, it wasn't. 
Uh, it was a certain gentleman in a suit and a tie and a trench coat uh, who has a certain proclivity for Geronimo. Uh, yeah, that's right, folks. He regenerated. She regenerated into backwards into David Tennant. Yes. Which was, if you haven't seen the clip, it's fucking wild because she regenerates. David Tennant pops up. And I know people are nitpicking on the clothes, but it's television. Who cares? You know, it's like, wait a minute. I know these two, these teeth. What? 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 And then it cuts to black. And David, Ten- now we know David Tennant was going to be appearing in a special this upcoming year because this upcoming year is the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, which mm-hmm. is wild to say because it feels like just yesterday we were getting the 50th anniversary with David Tennant and Matt Smith. Yeah. Can't believe it's been 10 years already since that one. Uh, but so we got that news uh, that, hey, David Tennant is now the t- at least temporary regeneration. But we got some additional news with uh, the online distribution of Doctor Who and that it is heading to Disney Plus. Wow. So reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, Doctor Who is heading to Disney Plus. Following a deal between the BBC and Disney branded television, the beloved British sci-fi series will be exclusively be available on the streaming service outside of the UK and Ireland. Domestically, it will remain on the BBC. The next season of the show will see Nkudi Gatwa taking control of the TARDIS with his first appearance set to air next Christmas. Quote, I love this show, and this is the best of both worlds. With the vision and joy of the BBC and Disney+, Plus, together we can launch the TARDIS all around the planet, reaching a new generation of fans while keeping our traditional home firmly on the BBC in the UK, said showrunner Russell T. Davis. Uh, Charlotte Moore, BBC's chief content officer, added, We are thrilled to announce this exciting global partnership with Disney, who are the perfect partners to bring this very British show to the rest of the world. Russell T. Davis's vision for Doctor Who has always been out of this world, and we are committed to ensuring uh, that audiences across the globe get the opportunity to enjoy the Doctor's epic adventures with the scale and ambition that they deserve. Joining forces with Disney will elevate the show to even greater heights and reach new audiences, so it's an extremely exciting time for fans in the UK and across the world. Close quote. Uh, Alyssa Bowen, president of Disney Plus, added, quote, We're excited by the opportunity to bring new seasons of this beloved franchise exclusively to Disney Plus and introduce the show to the next generation of audiences in more than 150 markets around the world. The, the series is a perfect addition to our ever-growing catalog of global content and continues to make Disney Plus the home for exceptional storytelling, close quote. So, obviously, big news. That, oh, huge. Huge. That, now, how it's going to work, not quite sure. Whether it's going to be it's available the next day or they're going to do like uh, Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon did on HBO Max where it aired on television at 9 o'clock and it was available on HBO Max at, at 9 o'clock. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out. In terms of the previous seasons, I know the Variety article didn't mention it, but I want to say it was either Nerdist or IGN said that all previous seasons, so the Christopher or the, the yeah the Christopher Eccleston run up through Jodie Whittaker are going to still be on HBO Max. Okay. So because I was wondering, is it the whole library is switching? Yeah, or is that's it a just, good question. Or is it just a new season? According to the article I read, from it was either IGN or Nerdist. The previous series and specials are going to still be on HBO Max, but all the new stuff going forward is going to be on Disney Plus. That's so, uh, it's weird, but hey, it, it's the rights and it's studios and it's weird. Okay, so first and foremost, David Tennant back, huge. Oh, my, absolutely, my favorite Doctor. Yes, no question about this. Buying some time for Shooty Gotway to take over. Uh, really surprised he's getting a couple episodes run. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I mean, I'm happy about this. Like, don't get me wrong. The yeah, 
Tenet is the is the best. Like Matt Smith is one B, two is one A, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Can't wait to see what Shooty does with the role. So that's big, and obviously cannot wait to dive into that episode. I know it's two hours too. I like I just didn't have time this week. Yeah, I know people have been hitting us up about covering it. Maybe we'll try sneaking it out for next week. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Stay tuned to ODPH social media. We'll let you know what we're going to do with that. Well, and we just got to live real quick. We you know Doctor Who, y'all got some explaining to do because not only returning is David Tennant, but also Catherine Tate. Yeah, which. If you know the Doctor Who story, they're not allowed to see each other ever again. Yes. Or else she dies. Yeah, so there's... Spoiler alert, but there, it's, it's been 10, 15 years, so deal with it. Yeah, there's a lot going on with that move, so we definitely want to take a deep dive into that. Like I said, we will we will get to that at some point. Even if it's a blog post, we'll, we'll make some time to talk about this, because it is a huge thing. Oh, it's, that's massive. And then flipping to Disney+, Plus, like, this... Like, I thought they were getting the library. If they got the library, it was game over. Like I'm sorry. Like I wouldn't be surprised if at some point that isn't going to end up being the case, just because, like we said uh, previous segment, don't expect a lot of new things from Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, uh, especially when it comes to HBO Max, uh, they're shedding money left, right, and center. Uh, but as of right now, it sounds like the previous from what, like I said, from what I read, from it was either an IGN article or a Nerdist article where the previous the library, so the Christopher Eccleston, so from season one of the reboot up through the Jodie Whittaker stuff is going to stay on HBO Max is what it sounds like right now. Now that could change in a week. That could change in a day. That could change by the time you listen to this podcast. Yeah. Check your streaming devices, you know, and, and see where it is, you know, because you might want to do a catch up and rewatch. And I, I know I've kind of been on that fence about doing it and this might uh, push me over the edge. Yeah. I'm saying there I'm saying, but the fact that Disney plus got the new episodes, like that's huge, especially with tenant coming back. Like, I don't think people realize outside the Whovian fandom of how big this is. And mm-hmm. it's like if you didn't think Disney Plus was winning the streaming wars, like this is this is almost checkmate on everybody else. I'm sorry, like this is how big this move is. Mm-hmm. So definitely something to be excited about. Definitely. Uh, and then switching over to some Game of Thrones news, uh, we got an update from George R. R. Martin about the winds of winter. Ooh. Oh, really? <sighs> Christ Almighty. Okay, that doesn't sound good. No. So reading from an article on IGN.com. Quote, Game of Thrones author George R. R. Martin has said that his latest Song of Ice and Fire book, The Winds of Winter, is about three quarters of the way finished. Only three quarters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> article. Yeah, no, the laughter is warranted because, oh, don't worry, it gets worse. Oh, God. Uh, the article goes on to say, as reported by The Hollywood Reporter, Martin was aptly asked about his progress on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, where he gave a definitive answer for the first time in a while. Quote, I think it's going to be a very big book, more than 1,500 pages. And I think I'm about three quarters of the way done, Martin said. The characters all interweave, and I'm actually finished with a couple of the characters, but not others. I have to finish all that weaving, close quote. Doing the math for himself, Colbert asked, if it's taken 10 years to get to 75% of the way, does that mean it will be another three or so years before The Winds of Winter is released? That's depressing, Martin said, avoiding a yes or no answer. An estimated release of The Winds of Winter was first given in 2011 when the previous book, A Dance with Dragons, was released. And Martin said it would take three years to finish it at a good pace. That set expectations for a 2014 release date, of course. But year after year after year after year and delay after delay, Martin still wasn't ready to release the penultimate A Song of Ice and Fire entry. He knows it's late himself, and while he respects that fans are eager to read the book, Martin wishes they weren't so mean about it. He said previously, <laughs> he said previously, he said previously, quote, I say happy Thanksgiving and they say, never mind happy Thanksgiving. Where's the book? Close quote. 
Martin has been keeping himself busy between writing his next Game of Thrones book and also working with HBO on the latest adaptation of his series, House of the Dragon, uh, close quote. So yeah, as they said in the article, House of the Dragon, so there's five books currently out from uh, the Song of Ice and Fire series. The first Game of Thrones book was released, and I've got the here, let me get the exact date. Uh, the first book in the Game of Thrones series, titled A Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. was released on August 1st, 1996. Jeez. Uh, you had the second book, A Clash of Kings, was released on November 16th, 1998. So, pretty good clip, I would say. Yeah, I would there. say that's fair. Uh, the third book, A Storm of Swords, was released on August 8th of 2000. Still, hey, pretty good clip there. Fair. Uh, a feast of crow, a feast for crows, which was the next book in the series, was released on where is it? Uh, there it was. Uh, it doesn't give a firm date. Uh, just says published in two thousand five. So five years. You know what? Uh, okay. You know the, that point tolerable. You know, you know, feast for crows was where is the page number? It was seven hundred and fifty three pages. Uh, you know, so understandable. That's I think that's about the same amount of time. Not as many years with rolling in the Harry Potter books. You know, there was a decent stretch there. Uh, and then you had A Dance with Dragons came out in 2011, so that was a six-year gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one was 1,016 pages. Uh, so this book is, listen, I've read all five books, but it's been 4,124 days since the last book came out and counting. I'm not rereading those books again because it took me like north of, it took me about five years to read the damn things. Somebody better come up with a recap video for this because obviously the books are very different from the show. But Christ Almighty, I'm convinced at this point it's not going to release until he's dead. No, I'm with you. Like, I'm not wishing, obviously, anything bad. But, you know, that's going to be the case. I've given up hope about this whole thing. Like, the fact that it's taken this long and, obviously, the TV shows have surpassed everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I, unfortunately, I think you're right. Like, I think it's going to... It's. And let's it, not forget. Let's not forget. This is the penultimate book. He's still got one more to go. Yeah. Like, this is on top of wanting to do another volume for his uh, prequel book the, the, that the House of Dragons is based off of. And writing other books. Yeah. no, The man's just too fucking busy. Too much going on right now. So, obviously, like, I've given up hope about it. The other... I, just, I, I laugh, though, when he, when people are complaining and he's like, why are everybody mad? You don't understand in a fandom what you've done mm-hmm. is you've now, like, whatever the case is, the books haven't come out. It's on you. Well, no, it is because, from what I understand, he has the most asinine writing setup you know in in isn't it a in typewriter history. well it's a it's a typewriter but then also he writes each chapter from a different character's perspective oh and and it's not like a thousand different characters it's usually the same set of characters still so you'll have you know Tyrion lannister in in one book and then you'll have in one chapter then you might have jamie in another book and then you might have Arya in another chapter and like each chat so he's got to write each chapter but then there are times where, like, something he's written in a in a in a chapter he just worked on contradicted the chapter he just wrote. He just wrote, so he's got to scrap what he wrote in the previous chapter, rewrite the previous chapter because it doesn't. It's the most asinine setup I've ever heard. I was reading a story where he turned in a draft for one of the, a part of the book, one of the books he was writing. And it was in the publisher's hand for a day for them to proofread it, edit it, whatever. And he asked for it back because he had to rewrite it. A day, mm. a day later. That's fucking wild. Oh, it's absurd. Yeah, I, like I say, I, I wish I couldn't laugh at this, but it's it's kind of the point. Oh, you have to. It's it's comical to hear about an update about this. Like until yeah. I'm actually holding a book, I'm still not going to read it. But I'm like to say, I, I'll take a selfie with it to say like it actually happened. But oh yeah, I'm convinced it won't. But I'm out. I'm I've checked out. Uh, and then lastly, certainly not least, the big one of the biggest news stories of the week uh, is there. The, you know, the hierarchy really did change at DC, but not in the way you think. 
Uh, reading from an article over at thehollywoodreporter.com, quote, the hierarchy of DC power in the DC universe really is changing. In a stunning turn of events, filmmaker James Gunn and producer Peter Safran have been tapped to lead DC's film, television, and animation efforts as co-chairs and co-CEOs of DC Studios, a newly formed division at Warner Brothers that will replace DC Films. The unprecedented move in which a top director will assume a top executive post marks the end of a month-long search by Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zlaslav to replace DC Films boss Walter Hamada, who departed the studio last week. That search had all of Hollywood guessing and playing executive bingo for who would land one of the most coveted and challenging jobs in town. In recent weeks, Gunn and Safran were spotted on the Warner Brothers lot meeting with Warner Films co-chair Michael DeLuca about future projects. And according to sources, the initial overture to Safran and Gunn came from DeLuca over the summer, even as the studio was in shaky talks with producer Dan, uh, Dan Lin to take the job. Gunn will focus on the creative side of things, while Safran will focus on the business and production side. Both are expected to continue to direct and produce projects, respectively. They will report directly to Zaslav and work closely with Warner's film bosses DeLuca and Pamela Abdi. Sources say the deal runs four years and Gunn will be exclusive to DC. The goal is for them to not just be producers, but truly function as executives even as Gunn will occasionally hone a movie. Uh, unlike Marvel Studios, DC has multiple films set in separate creative universes. And according to sources, Joker filmmaker Todd Phillips' work on the upcoming sequel, which goes in production later this year, will not fall under Gunn and Safran's purview and instead will be overseen by DeLuca and Abdi. Matt Reeves, who worked under Hamada, has a budding universe based on, the, on his The Batman movie. It is unclear under whose purview Reeves' future projects would fall, but everything else moving forward would be under Gunn and Safran's. Uh, quote, DC has the most, most entertaining, powerful, and iconic characters in the world, and I am thrilled to have the singular and complementary talents of James and Peter joining our world-class team and overseeing the creative direction of the storied DC universe, said David Zlaslav in a statement. Their decades of experience in filmmaking, close ties to the creative community, and proven track record, a thrilling uh, track record, thrilling superhero fans around the globe make them uniquely qualified to develop a long-term strategy across film, TV, and animation, and take this iconic franchise to the next level of creative storytelling. Close quote. Smart move. Mm-hmm. Smart move by DC and Warner Brothers. You can't put it in better hands. James Gunn's track record. From Suicide Squad, The Peacemaker, and the magic he's done at Marvel, mm -hmm. now coming over here, this is the guy you want to bank on. And yeah, and Saffron's great too. Like this could not have been a more win-win for this uh, division. They finally are going to have a calm, steady course of action here. Mm -hmm. The uh, Joker film, like, listen, nobody's nobody's really tying that into DC. Like, no. honestly, that that's a whole different ball of wax. So mm -hmm. that's irrelevant to anything. It's like DC Black Label. Yeah, the. The Matt Reeves stuff is interesting, though, but I think it will ultimately fall under Gun. But I think Gun's going to be like, do, do whatever, do you, whatever want. you want. Yeah. yeah, like, listen, I saw your first one and what you did with that one. I loved it. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna tell you what to do. Yeah, he's just gonna let him have free reign. So like, nobody should be worried about that at all. This is huge. You're gonna see a lot of characters get redone, and mm -hmm. I think you're gonna have a clear cut vision. Mm -hmm. uh, it might not be what everybody's expecting, but like, this is the whole thing. James Gunn understands how to use D-list characters, C-list characters, and make them into something special. Yep. He will be taking chances, and that is something as fans that I've been hearing the most about. 
we don't need another Batman movie. We don't need another Superman movie, per se. We don't need another origin movie. Right. Let's get something different. Let's go deep dive. Let's go make something happen. Mm-hmm. Gunn will do that. I'm fully convinced. And I think, if anything, he still has an axe to grind against Marvel. So you uh, know what? Yeah. He's going to do this. I mean, I don't know if you got any other thoughts on this. No, I mean, it, it, it's kind of interesting just because I don't think were it not for the whole backlash and getting him thrown off of Guardians 3 for, you know, a cup of tea. Because you got to remember, he got thrown He got removed from working on Guardians 3 mm-hmm. and then announced the whole DC thing. I think if that wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't be sitting here. No, I. but I think this is a great move for DC. You know, I, I think it's a calming force for that. Whereas, you know, it's, it's seemingly Warner Brothers has had their grubby little fingers over everything that franchise that franchise in DC has done, you know, for the last twenty years, yeah, which understandably so, it's their property, you know, it's their baby, you know, but it it's just with the, there are too many fingers in the pie, there's too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, too many cooks, too many cooks, mm-hmm. you know, but I think with Gun there, he'll answer to Zlaslav, but I think he's smart. He goes, hey, listen, I've seen the track record James Gunn has got with you know Guardians of the Galaxy, Peacemaker, Suicide Squad. I'm just going to let him do him, you know, and and just let it go. And that could be the best thing for DC because as we've seen with the Marvel stuff, they let Feige do Feige. Yeah. And hey, you do what you do. We're just we're just the parent with the bank account writing the checks. Mm-hmm. If if Warner Brothers Discovery and DC can get a similar setup going, yeah. It's a win-win for them. Fully agree. And I think they definitely got to capitalize on it. If they, if they don't do that, I'm sorry. This is like the last shot. Oh, yeah. No, if if, they, if it doesn't work with this, it's a death now. You got The Rock now revitalizing Black Adam and really kicking off a new phase. Henry Cavill's back in the fold. It's all under James Gunn. Yeah. Like, if this doesn't succeed, it's done. Just, I don't know. I don't know where you go from here if this doesn't work. More animation movies. <laughs> Not a bad thing there. Not no, a bad thing at all. No. So, to close out, we got to talk comics. This is a stacked week. Uh, Pad, at, from Marvel side of thing, AXE Judgment Day number six. Hmm. The big crossover between the X-Men Eternals and Avengers is finally out. Oh, yeah. So if you're, They've been, been hyping this up for like a half a year. Yeah, so if you're definitely looking forward to this series, definitely make sure to go pick that up at the comic shops this week. Three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and the Avengers and X-Men hating each other. Yep. Savage true. Absolutely sad, but true. On Comixology Originals, one of my favorite series is got its latest chapter out. That is Canary. Scott Snyder, Dan oh, Pazin. Okay. Oh, my God. The horror western is absolutely kicking the high gear. Phenomenal issue. Really setting the pace, obviously, with Marshall Holt's last ride. Mm-hmm. It's going into a lot of creepy directions, but I'm going to say this, and this will not spoil anything, but the final panel that you see from this book is going to give you shills. Okay. It's shills, chills, and, and and thrills, too. Like, it's going to do a lot. And I tell you, when I read it, I was like, holy. Like, that was my genuine reaction. Okay. And I say this as a huge fan of what they do with the Scott Tober line at Best Jacket Press. They have got so much win there, and this book definitely has not faltered one bit. Phenomenal read. Definitely recommend it. Always, always, always recommend that. Also had another book come across the wire. It's Ask for Mercy, The Circle of Time, number one. Okay. So I, I would just this is the first time I'm picking up. This is season four of the book series. Okay. So Richard Starkings and uh, Abigail Harding is the team behind this. And this is a very cool fantasy book that's going on. Uh, they're focusing on a pair of very popular characters in the fandom. 
And I got to say, for the first time reading this, I was very impressed with this. This is some real imaginative storytelling. I want to go back and go check the first couple seasons out because there was a couple things that were happening in this book, not doing any spoilers about this, that I was like, okay, this is a really interesting take. You have my attention now. So very curious to see what's going on with this. And obviously there is a big news that came out along with this book too that it will be coming to print via Dark Horse Comics okay. in March of 2023. So the first nice. the first volume will be coming out. So obviously we one thing we always scream is obviously support your favorite local comic shops. And uh, I always hear some feedback about the Comixology line. Well, you know, it's buying digital. A lot of these books are coming out to your comic shops. So when they come out, go pick them up. They're that damn good. And I, I fully say this book definitely was something that flew under my radar, but I, I'm so glad I took a look at it. So I'm definitely excited to check that out. One book I didn't get a chance to review fully for the blog, but I'm going to co-sign on it is Blood Oath number three. Mm-hmm. So this has been a wild book that has been coming out. Definitely a very cool retelling and tying in some history times with vampires. So that's all the spoilers you're going to get from this, but I'm definitely saying you want to keep this on your radar when you hit the comic book shops this week. Because if you're shopping on Comixology, I refer to that as a digital comic shop. So definitely make sure to check out Blood Oath. Give that a very high recommendation. Also, coming out from Boom Studios. They had a very big triple threat this week. House of Slaughter number 10 came out. James Tynan, Sam Johns, Letizia Candosia. Uh, They wrapped up the story of Edwin Slaughter on a definite high note. It's been an interesting tale. I know you're not a big uh, something that's killing the children fan. No, I mean you're just being honest. He's not. Pat's not a horror fan. No. Nope. So this is not something in his wheelbarrow. Listen, but, it's 2022, and I've only just seen the, the original Dracula movie in 1931. Yeah, no, like, this, I, I'm not a big horror fan. No, and there's nothing wrong with that either. I just want to clarify that because I know it's getting hit up by some people. Like, well, Pat never talks horror comics. It's like that's not his fandom. No, I when I was five years old, I went through a haunted house, had my help, my face held, and screamed at by this dude in a, in a zombie, this creepy as all hell zombie mask when I was fucking five. Like, try that when you're five and see if you like horror movies. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I understand that, but like I always get hit up and people are asking me about that. That is why I say House of Slaughter is a lot different takes than you normally see in a comic. And I got to say, the team over there absolutely crushed it. The final image of that book is going to freak you the hell out, too. I, when I saw it, I had to do a double take, but it's just a unique and it's a very cool story going on that will catch you off guard, but it plays into the whole mythos of something that's killing the children, which is a phenomenal series in its own right. So this is a great compliment to it. You don't need to really necessarily read both at the same time, but it definitely helps. And they're both great series. So, I mean, I'll, I'll plug them both all day, every day. Speaking of great books, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 101 pad. Yeah. So this is obviously getting a lot of hype because it's coming off the heels of Ryan Parrott's run. And let me tell you this, they did not miss a beat with the new series. They, The new creative team of Melissa Flores, who we know from the Dead Lucky, and Simona de Gianfelis, definitely made their big debut with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 101. I'm not going to spoil anything, but I'm going to say this. If you're a longtime fan of the Power Rangers, a lot of stuff in the fandom that you're definitely going to be excited about. I thought they hit the ground running and never took the foot off the gas pedal. There is a lot that goes on with this. If And for just being a fan of the the line they do over here with the Power Rangers, everything is now condensed. It's all under one house. And I'm telling you this, they definitely had a great first impression. The last page is going to have some people talking. 
I have a theory out there right now. It's in the Parlay Points blog, so I'm not going to spoil anything. But, Pat, I'm showing you some of the artwork that is going on here. Hmm, okay. So this is something, you know, I th- I say if you're into superhero comics, this is one that you definitely want to go pick up. If you're into Power Rangers, obviously you're going to pick this up because there's a lot that is happening here. Also coming out from Boom Studios, like I said, they had a triple threat going on, is Damn Them All. Number one, Simon Spurrier and Charles Adlard, who you know from The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. He's the artist on there. Yeah. Uh, are doing a very, very cool story going on about a, dare I say, anti-hero in her own right that has now been roped into dealing with the fallout from her uncle's death. Mm. And she is now working to solve some mysteries that are going on, and this is uh, it, it's all stemming out of his funeral. So, like I say, this is just a absolutely crazy series that is going on. And if you're into supernatural stuff, this is going to be right up your alley. Like I say, I can't stress enough of just how cool this series was because what falls out from the wake is now she's become involved in this mysterious world and she is now going to have to do some work to really start taking care of some business here. So I'm keeping it as spoiler-free as I can right there, but I'm going to show and pad some of the imagery right here. Okay. So this is something that definitely, like I say, is supernatural to a degree, but when you're seeing some of this coming in right with the story, like I say, you can't go wrong with it. Last but not least, Valiant Entertainment is back on the shelves finally with, I'm going to say right now on record, my favorite interpretation of Bloodshot. Okay. Dennis Camp and John Davis Hunt have really stepped up the game with the series Bloodshot Unleashed number two. Uh, they are really taking that character into some really interesting places. The story is in your face. It's brutal. They're not holding any punches back. This is a mature reader's book. I want to stress that first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So if you're not familiar with that type of deal, if you're a younger uh, reader or you know somebody that's reading that is very young, this is not going to be something probably for them. This is mature readers to the letter. They definitely don't pull any punches. So I'm like I say, for me, I love the book. I think it's very, very intense. And it's something that when you say Bloodshot, this is the book you want. So you definitely want to make sure you go check that out. So like we say, there is just so many books out this week. And definitely hit me up on the social medias. Let me know what you're reading to. Ask for Mercy definitely caught me off guard. So I'm saying this. I'll give that a very big plug this week. Along with everything else that we recommended, House of Slaughter, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Damn Them All, and Bloodshot, Unleashed, and Canary. Solid recommendations for here. That's why we cover them in the Parlay Points block section. If you want the deeper dive, definitely go check that out. And always support your favorite local comic shops and independent podcasts talking comics. Pat, we'll just keep it short and sweet for anything and everything that is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. That is all for this week. So for the one and only Pat and 1J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.